is gray. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. I'm JR. Yes, and today we're here uh, after several weeks, finally, to talk JR's pick. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. JR was supposed to be gone for a month or two, and here he is, and we're talking his pick, and we went from having guests on the show to nothing and everything that's canceled because of coronavirus but we're here to talk his pick finally robert altman's images from 1972 and uh other stuff we watched no new trailers because everything is grinding to a halt all the movies are pushed back to next year at this point the Cannes film festival just announced today that they're postponing until at least june maybe july probably be even later than that and uh yeah I heard today also that Italy has more cases of coronavirus than China. Holy so shit. So it's like really bad in Italy. Don't go yeah. to Italy right now. Yeah. Not that you could yeah. if you wanted to, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, how's everybody doing with that? You guys aren't sick, which is good. I'm yeah. not sick. Knock on I wood. Hmm? And this is actual wood. So. Actual wood. Yes. Okay. Yes. Very good. Yes. We've I all... do like that we, we spent, well, 10 minutes of uh, the end of the episode last time, basically non-teasing what was going to happen, and yeah. everything we said was a lie. Yeah. yeah. The well, coronavirus we, has made liars of us all. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We did have guests lined up. I had my, my buddy Sean was going to be on the show, and he asked us to watch The Third Man, which I did. Did you watch The Third Man? I did not have a chance. <laughs> JR, did you? I that movie. No? Okay. <laughs> Jesus. I watched The Third no. Man, so I'll be talking about that briefly, and um, yeah, but uh, he... he uh, we, it didn't work out, so now uh, JR's back anyway, so we don't really need a guest. It's just a big fucking mess is what it is. Yeah. yeah. So is Sean, Sean has no plans to come in and talk about the third man anymore? I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to rewatch it, so I'm going to talk about it on this episode. So if he did guest, like, I'll, he's obviously welcome to guest at some point in the future, but I will not be... I hope he picks another movie. He had like four movies he wanted to talk about, and that was just the one that he picked. So he wanted to talk about rules of the rules of the game and a couple other ones. I can't. They're all like you know classic. This guy sounds like he'd be my friend. So. Yeah, he's he's a real. Although I'm, I mean, I I'll be honest. I don't know. I mean, he he he's watched all these films and he went to film school, but he's a he's a professional photographer now. He works for um, whatever the magazine is called here. Used to be Dig. Two two five. That's not called two two five. It's the other one. Oh, oh. okay. It's not Dig anymore. Is it? Isn't it not called Dig anymore? No, it, it used to be Tiger Rag, and then it was turned to Dig. Oh, maybe it is called Dig still. I don't know. Anyways, he works for that magazine. Okay. Awesome. And uh, he's he shoots good pictures of uh, food and and what's going on around town and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that how many movies he really watches anymore because uh, he's not on Letterbox. He is on Letterbox, but he hasn't posted in like. Oh, he's one of these, you know, uh, lapsed Catholics when it comes to Letterbox. You know, they get right. on there and they post for a couple of months and they forget all about it. I fucking hate you that know, shit. I, I have heard, <laughs> I have heard that there are people out there though that watch movies and don't post a Letterbox. So it's possible that he is watching the movie still. Mm. I don't know. Possible, maybe. <laughs> I don't know any of these people, but I hear about them. It's right. just gross. Why everybody needs to be on Letterbox? It annoys me that people aren't, <laughs> and then it annoys me further when you tell people who watch lots of movies, mm. "Hey, you should be on Letterbox," and they just ignore you, like you didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Seriously, get on Letterbox. Right. Yeah, get off. Get off your fucking TikTok. Yeah. Get on seriously. Letterboxd, God, right? how old are we? I know. <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah. So I guess let's just. Uh, dive right into what we watched mm. uh oh 
I should say though that um, on the next episode, let's just hash this out right now. We probably mm-hmm. should have talked about this before we start recording. But on the next episode, I had already promised Rustin a spot <laughs> as oh, a guest okay. on the next episode, and he's excited because he wants to watch Dread. Oh, okay. Are you guys nice. into this? Sure. Well, we're all into Dread. So. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, like, are you? It would be Kevin's spot. So, I mean, yeah, it's fine. Not okay. that he would overtake your spot; it would just push you back a week, <laughs> yeah, you know, or two weeks. It's like, I got my pick in, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I would love to watch Dread. Oh, yeah, actually, oh, oh God, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. <laughs> he said Dread when you weren't going to be here, Jr. But then now that you are here, he's changed his pick. I forgot. <laughs> Wait, what? Because you've seen Dread, and he he doesn't want to. Is this real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't make me watch. Don't make me watch the fucking Mystery Science Theater three thousand movie. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, well, I'll reveal the movie at the end of the episode. It's actually it's something that I I like a lot. So it's, okay. uh, it's in my top uh, fifty. Or I just got or so excited oh. <laughs> to watch Dread. We'll still watch. You can still watch Dread. Nothing. Nobody's stopping you. Yeah. He bought the uh, Mondo Steelbook recently, and he's really excited to watch nice. it and that's nice. one of the reasons he was going to pick it but then he Did found out you were big on poster no, no no it's just a regular old steel book ah. it'll cost him of like 45 dollars though on ebay <laughs> but he's excited about it so good for him mm. all right so uh we'll reveal what the next episode will contain at the end of the episode right now let's jump into what we watched who wants to go first somebody else can go first because i've got like three things to talk about <laughs> Do you guys want to start with my shitty opinion on The Shining? Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I have Um, a a Kubrick film to talk to, so that's good. ah, Nice. I think I talked uh, off air with you guys after last episode about how I was currently reading Dr. Sleep, and I had recently read The Shining. Mm. So I decided to also uh, rewatch The Shining and then watch the 2019 adaptation of Dr. Sleep. And... uh, you know, the sh- it had been a while since I'd seen The Shining, but I, it held, I don't know, very few surprises for me. Like, my my opinion did not really change. Um, the Shining is, like, just a brilliant technical achievement of horrific atmosphere um, that I just, it just never has fully clicked with me. It's almost like while well, I'm watching it, I just don't have the patience for it. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But, um Having now rewatched it after reading the book, I definitely understand why Stephen King hates this movie. Uh, he, it, because he was going to hate anything that changed anything about his book. Um, it seems like he definitely wrote this in like a weird time of his life, and it's like very personal to him. So I don't know why he even sold it to be made. It just seems like because that's all he cares about is fucking money, man. He's a fucking okay. commercial author. <laughs> He's a bullshit oh, author who wants money, 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 true. money, money. How long was it before Carrie was turned into a film after he fucking wrote it? Like two years? I mean, shit. I think The Shining money. was published in 76 <laughs> or 77. Well, also, and, like, yeah, I mean, he. I'm sure he valued the the movie rights for that because before Carrie was published, like, he didn't have a phone connected because he couldn't afford it. They had to send what's him a his, What's his excuse now that he's a billionaire? Oh, now well, I think he just, most like, of those profits don't go to him. They oh, go, but, they go no, to, don't cry fucking poor to me about Stephen. Stephen King is the no, richest no. author on the planet, besides J.K. I, Rowling. I think maybe now he just 
like he just doesn't care. I, I honestly think that now the books are not nearly as personal to him. Yeah. He cranks out what he cranks out and some of it's fine and some of it's bad and he just yeah. sells it and whatever. Sometimes he gets a I mean, show that is critically acclaimed like The Outsider and sometimes he gets you know some piece of shit that fails like uh, Doctor Sleep which I actually don't think is a piece of shit. I'll well to be fair I've never read one of his books so <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Carrie and The Shining the films. So. Nice. Um, so I think that the shining book is a, is just a fucking mess. I don't like it. I think, uh, it is very long and there's just not a ton going on. And it was in a period where Kubrick was like, Hey, I understand what foreshadowing is. I'm going to beat you over the head with it. And just like, it's, it's all very writerly in an obvious way. It just, and I don't think the characters are very interesting. So, okay, so uh, I'm going to they, stop you right there because you, you're confusing me. You said you said that the you hate the book because yeah, book, book and, is bad. and then you said Kub, it's written at a time when Kubrick thought oh, I know sorry. what foreshadowing is. Written at a time where Stephen King. Okay, good. Just making sorry. sure. I wasn't sure who like so if you jumped to the movie suddenly. Mm. <laughs> I'm seven beers deep right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really. Uh, Should have told us, man. I could have stopped <laughs> at the grocery store on the way. But, um, what's great about the shining movie is that Kubrick cuts out just like all of King's bullshit. Uh, but he cuts out so much about the family, the Torrances that they don't ever really feel like they matter. Um, and Kubrick has very little, I think like he has no interest in like the horror quirks of the hotel so much as he makes it just kind of generally creepy and makes a lot of weird things happen. And that's fine because that part of the movie is great. Um, and then I'll add the like once the hotel kind of grips Jack Nicholson, like he totally loses me. I don't uh, I don't hate Jack Nicholson in this. It's so much as I just am bugged by the fact that we get like one scene of transition from him being a normal uh, recovering alcoholic father to him just losing his mind. Like we just get him at the typewriter kind of quietly getting mad at, at Shelley Duvall and then and then he's just crazy after that. Well, I don't know. I mean there's you know? are there are there are multiple scenes where you see that build up, isn't there? I mean when he's yeah. wa- when he's watching them in the uh or he's staring out the window and then you see like the above shot of the the maze and they're playing in the maze. Like it's like I mean and, and then him talking to the ghost of or the um bartender and all that stuff. I mean him getting frustrated that he can't drink and all this kind of stuff. Like yeah. I mean, there's a and, lot and there's we, a lot pushing him towards his psychosis, yeah. I feel like. No? No good? <laughs> no. And the no. and uh, everything everything the butler you said didn't the, happen in the movie. <laughs> and the butler in the bathroom who, you know, essentially tells him that, you know, his job is to murder his family and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. I, I think at that point we're we're pretty full crazy. I mean, like the whole conversation with Lloyd before that uh, in the, the scene at the bar before that is, mm-hmm. you know, he's he is no longer normal father yeah. anymore just because he he has this new thing where um, he's obviously reacted to his wife accusing him of strangling his son, which, you know, would take an emotional toll on anyone, especially if you didn't strangle your son. Um, but he's at that point, I think he's, he's gone. There's also, I mean, I, I was always of the opinion that he was never fully there to begin with. I mean, he plays, my favorite part of his performance is that he plays frustrated really well. Like he's just, 
angry at his family. He's like mad at his lot in life that he has a family that he had, that he can't just be like a full-time writer, you know, a man about town or something like in the, in the car ride at the beginning, like anytime his, his wife and kid are trying to talk to him, he's just pissed off at them. Like he doesn't want to talk and he's giving them these really, you know, curt responses. And you're right. It's just, it's a bit more subtle. Yeah. Whatever. And we go from subtle, subtle, we go from subtle (laughs) to, uh, Go from subtle to blatant. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm only saying bad things about this movie because I understand. We, we've we've everyone's talked this movie to death. It's a I think it's a four out of five. I think it's a really good movie. Um, it's the kind of movie that I could put like if I was in a group, we could put it on all the time, and I wouldn't be mad about it. But by myself, I'm just I'm never itching to turn it on, and it is not at the top of my Kubrick list. Got that killer synth score from uh, what's her face, Wendy Carlos. Yeah, wow, 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 wow. the same good. notes as a Clockwork Orange. Yeah. It's... And I forgot, um, you know, the Ari Aster hereditary, uh, like, miniatures move yeah. is definitely, mm. like, the... <clears throat> yeah. Looks like it took its cue from the uh, the maze shot of where we are looking down at the miniature of the maze, and then that becomes the actual maze. Yeah. Which now, and that was great. Ari because Aster, this movie is visually brilliant. He and... should have kept copying from Kubrick instead of uh, jumping into whatever the fuck Midsummer was. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Do uh, you guys want me to jump right into Dr. Sleep? Or sure, do you man. Fuck take it. A good turn? Talk about yeah. that Jobber's right, I... uh, horror movie that he made. Sorry, wh- sorry, what? So, so, so what? So what? No. So, sorry, what? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I, I have good and bad things to say about Dr. Sleep because I think it's uh, a very interesting movie if you are um, someone who has read both The Shining and its sequel and seen The Shining movie, which is not, I don't think that's a ton of people. Like it's probably me and Kevin and like 30 other people. I Um, taught an eighth grader once who was reading Dr. Sleep. So maybe, maybe she, her too. I don't know. (laughs) I could see eighth graders being really into Dr. Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like it just, I mean, you know, uh, (laughs) focuses on, on a teen yeah, uh, there's there's some uh, young adulty stuff in that book, which, by the way, I like more than the Shining novel, and whatever. Um, so this was directed by Mike Flanagan. You know, like the guy I have a crush on because I love all of his bad horror movies or whatever. Mm. Um, so Flanagan makes an attempt to create both an adaptation to Kubrick's sequel. I mean, to Kubrick's movie and King's sequel. It's just, uh, I said that weird. He makes an adaptation of King's sequel, Dr. Sleep, that's also a sequel to the film version, and those are very different things. Um, And it's not always successful, but I enjoyed a lot of it. Ewan McGregor is a grown-up Danny Torrance, who's like a total alcoholic bum, like literally sleeping on the streets some nights. Um he like gets on a bus and finds himself in a small town, New Hampshire and gets sober. And we see a lot of him, uh, going to meetings and, you know, works in a nursing home where he gets this name, Dr. Sleep, because he sits with and comforts the residents who are about to die. Um, and then there's this other part of the movie where, uh, across town, this teenager named Abra is, uh, is super strong with the shining powers and has, gotten the attention of a group of like these ancient vampire style beings who feed on that shining power. And they're called the true knots. And, um, 
it's like a lot of fucking setup for a sequel to something so simple in its premise as The Shining. Because you know, we basically just have one family, one location, a horror force, and this is like there's like so much going on. Uh, this felt like it should have been a TV show. Uh, but the true knot is probably my favorite part. They're like they're pretty silly, but uh, Flanagan gives them a few scenes that are pretty close to scary. They feed on the kid from uh, Room, oh, Jacob nice. Tremblay, nice. at one point, and it hmm. is legitimately disturbing and uncomfortable and enjoyable because that movie was awful and he was awful in it. Yeah, that kid sucks. Um, <laughs> and uh, Rebecca Ferguson is, she's like the leader of this group, and I really like Rebecca Ferguson, except for when she's in movies like The the Kid Who Would Be King. Otherwise, love Rebecca Ferguson. Mm. <laughs> um, know, I'm trying to, I wrote like a hundred notes for this movie, so I'm trying to yeah, skim just, through them. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Let's pare that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh flanagan had the job of he had to include like flashbacks to the shining and memories of the shining characters and i think he very smartly recast uh those parts instead of doing like hologram style shit um it definitely removes his film from like the the specter of kubrick so it's easy to like not it's easier to not just compare what he's doing to what kubrick did and uh like danny talks to a memory of dick halloran we see flashbacks of a new Wendy. Danny interacts with a new version of Lloyd. Um, all that stuff is fine. There's another and person then, cast as Dick Halloran. What? There's the recast Dick Halloran. Yes. Yeah, they recast all those parts. Wow, it's mm. gotta be weird. Just totally new. No, it, it's it's fine. It Just because he's such like a unique presence. I don't know. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, you're right. But um. And then, like, the problems, the last 40 minutes of the three-hour cut I watched are basically devoted to the climax that brings Danny and this teenager, Abra, and Rebecca Ferguson to the Overlook Hotel for their final showdown. And it's, like, the only part of it that feels like it's trying to actually be, like, a real sequel to The Shining and look like a Kubrick movie. And uh, though I like Flanagan, he's definitely not Kubrick Mm. or anywhere close to Kubrick. And it just, he does not get... He's done good atmosphere in other horror movies, but he just he can't he doesn't get this right and it doesn't work. Um, and then of course there's those whole like psychic teenager thing that uh, Kubrick mostly cut out of The Shining because it's so fucking hard to make cooler compelling in a movie, even if it works in a book. And uh, Abra is neither cool nor compelling, and so much of the plot revolves around her, and you just never ever care. Mm. Abra. Bummer. And and I think in the book she's fairly interesting, and what happens to her is mostly interesting until some bullshit at the end. And uh, yeah, again, I I think that I enjoyed this movie because I've read both books and seen The Shining. And uh, I think Kevin, you might find this movie interesting. I gave it a three and a half out of five, and I recommend it only to Kevin <laughs> in the entire world. Yeah, I'll have to check it out at some point. And I, I did. I only watched the director's cut, not the regular one. Oh, okay. They um, say it's better. Which mm. apparently the director's cut does not add. Director's cut does not add new scenes. It just lengthens. Is more patient with the scenes it already has. Ah. Oh wow. Okay. Who knows? Cool. Uh, sorry, that was ten minutes long. It's all good. <laughs> Longer than that, actually, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. 
Okay. One of so, your three movies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um yeah, so I rewatched uh US Marshals, the sequel to The Fugitive. <laughs> and uh who directed this? What's uh cuz it's not Andrew Davis. He didn't come no. back. Who is? Who Even is though this? he's got nothing going on, he should yeah. have. Uh, Stuart Baird. Oh, Stuart Baird. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, and, I know. I know. I kept saying how great this movie is, but did you? I was kidding. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I. Yeah. This. This thing is like way too long for what it's trying to do. Like, like this is this is a really good example of how not to write a movie. Like, the uh, the actual like detective stuff that's in the movie is like very like you know they look at they look at uh some they look at some video footage and decide oh he was wearing gloves where they get his uh fingerprints and then robert downey jr reveals all guy's a genius yeah (laughs) that was still when he was coked up yeah i mean yeah Uh, yeah i mean the and the whole thing of like um uh the character Noah, like he gets shot by um, Downey. Downey's character, and it's like, well, why? It's like there's literally no reason for this to happen. So that they could match it up with the nickel-plated gun that he had at the beginning that Tommy Lee Jones makes fun of, and then he gets yeah. rid of. And it's like a, it's almost like a red herring, but it, it matches up yeah. at the end. Yeah, I remember that actually. It's the yeah, only thing I, remember I mean, about it. I don't know. I, I just think I remember like, also. Isn't there like a um. Uh, Wesley Snipes is in is on the plane with the prisoners, and then there's like there's like a gun that they make out of a toilet roll or something in the in the toilet. <laughs> it's like a it's like a spring loaded uh, something or other, yeah. like like a pin gun basically, yeah. and yeah, like it goes off and goes through <laughs> goes through one of the windows. It just Oops. destroys this entire half of this plane. Right. Um. Yeah. So Pressurized it was like, cabin. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was like they were really like. You know, like you, they were definitely wanting you to know that it was a sequel to The Fugitive. Of course, but like, ah, this is just just not a good script. I feel like you'd never get this movie made now because mm. they you want to make a you want to make a sequel to The Fugitive, but there's no way they'd make a sequel and not call it The Fugitive Two or something. You know what I mean? Like you because right. it doesn't connect except for the fact that Tommy Lee Jones is in it. And yeah, you have to like make sure that people understand this is the same character. Right. That was in the original film, you know what I mean? So Yeah, and um Yeah, and the the you know, whole stuff with like the uh the team and like their banter is just even worse. Joey Pants. Joe I mean he's great. Yeah. But I mean cuz like he ha- like, you know, he's got this he's got this great moment where like uh Tommy Lee Jones like knows where knows where to go and it's like, you know, you can't do this. This is wrong. You know, like you, uh, you do this, you, you forget everything you taught me about the job, about the code, about blah 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 blah. And it's like, it's all about you now. It's not about justice. It's about you, the great Sam Gerard. Yes, I am. <laughs> and you always have to be right. Yes, I do. <laughs> so it was. Like... <laughs> They're good. They're good though. Tommy Lee's good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I would never. Yeah. I would never give this another shot. But I saw it on yeah, TV a few years ago, and uh. Yeah, it was just like yeah, it's like it's like one of those entertaining Sunday afternoon on TV watches, you know. You right, right. You don't seek it out, but if it's on, 
You leave it on in the background while you're washing dishes or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'd probably put on a podcast. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the days in the days pre-podcast, true, pre true, everybody true. having a cell phone, true. All right. Well, uh, I watched. Uh, speaking of Kubrick, from JR's uh, talk, I, uh, I watched the rewatched the Killing, mm. uh, Kubrick's second, third film, third feature, I think. Yeah, yeah. After uh, Fear and Desire and The Killer's Kiss, uh, and uh, yeah, I was not was not happy with it. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> I, it's been a long. I, mean, I haven't seen this since I was like eighteen, mm. and I rewatched it mainly because uh, Timothy Carey's in it, and we had just got done with World's Greatest Sinner and everything. Oh and, right, uh, watched another Timothy Carey movie today. Actually, that I'll talk about later. But um, yeah, the killing. I don't, the, my biggest issue with it is the narration. The narration fucking kills yeah. so much it's of this brutal. movie. It's brutal. It's just like pure exposition that you don't need at all. Yeah. It could easily be excised and you could still follow the events very easily. And yeah. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. Because <laughs> like was so it much of it is edition? like. Was it what now? Was it a studio edition? Studio edition? Oh, yeah, ad, as in like oh, ad edition. Oh, I, I have no idea. I didn't read about it. Um, mm-hmm. Possibly. I know Jim Thompson wrote all the dialogue and Kubrick wrote the actual script. Which mm-hmm. I think is also a weird thing that doesn't really happen anymore. But uh, you know, yeah. maybe just let Thompson write the script. I don't know. Maybe I, I assume that Thompson wrote the narration, though, which is you know the worst part about it. But outside of that, I mean, it's a, it's well made and everything, and it's yeah. it's got some good sequences. It's also got some sequences that are pretty um, old Hollywood, I'd say, and mm. uh, you know, not what I'm looking for from a Kubrick film, right? So just uh, stuff with the the little the wormy guy and his wife who's using him and you know all yeah, that yeah. stuff. I don't know. I just I, it doesn't do much for are, me. Are um, are all of your favorite Kubrick movies post uh like post nineteen sixty eight? No, I, I remember Probably. loving Paths of Glory, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Mm. So it, it might suck too now if I rewatch it. This movie didn't suck. I don't mean to say The Killing is a bad movie. It's a good movie. It's just low tier Kubrick for me. I remember liking Killer's Kiss when I saw it. I mean, so who knows? But I, I'm sure if I rewatch it now, it would be like this. It would, you know, have lost its luster. I watched mm. these films at a time when I was a real fanboy of Kubrick, where like he could do no wrong, and I was trying to justify, you know, this this is the greatest filmmaker in the history of cinema, that kind of thing. And um, that's kind of lessened for me. And I, I think he's still one of the greats. But um, I mean, you know, this is an early film. You know, he's allowed to make mistakes early on. I don't have a problem yeah. with that. I mean, this is definitely before he, like, really kind of found his right. his voice. Also, like, honestly, I, I don't think he really, probably didn't really find it until, like, 2001. Yeah. That's, like, that, well, that's, even, uh, I mean, like, uh, Dr. Strangelove is, is, yeah. uh, is great. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, 2001 is definitely, that's where he gets his pacing down and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's also where he no longer has, he's no longer needing to work with a studio system. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Truth. I mean, just cause that has now fallen apart. So, right. I mean, I, I do love Dr. Strange love, but it's definitely yeah. made within a system. Sure. Even yeah. if it does a lot of crazy stuff with that system in that system. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, I like, I like all those films, but yeah, I mean, definitely my, my favorites of his are definitely, you know, <laughs> starting with like 2001 and going on forward. I mean, those are, those are the best for me. Uh, Whoa. Up until his final film, you know, which is amazing as well. So, uh, but yeah, the killing just, uh, I don't know, didn't, uh, didn't knock my socks off. I like Sterling Hayden in it, although him as a leading man is a little weird. Uh, but 
I don't know. He was good. He's very, you know, gritty and, you know, angry. <laughs> and uh, I like some of the, the ideas that they had about how to pull off the heist, like starting the fight in the bar and him going to that little motel and leaving shit there for the other guy to go get and all that stuff. And I like the idea of him him with the uh, the shotgun in the, in the flower box is like that's been used like a million times since then. I thought of two right off the bat, uh, just a, well, I mean about 15 or 20, 20 years later, uh, dog day afternoon, he has his, his mini 14 in a flower box when he goes throughout the bank. And then in uh, Terminator two, he's got his yeah. shotgun in the rose box, which Cameron is ridiculous. He like focuses on the roses, like falling in slow motion and him stepping on them and shit. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, uh, well, Cameron is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I signed up for a, um, free trial of shutter which is not my thing at all like i don't like horror movies but shutter has uh this new documentary series called cursed films that's coming out that uh, a filmmaker that i like jay Chiel, he he directed the episodes and uh they're all about these movies that are supposedly cursed like uh, the exorcist poltergeist uh twilight zone the movie you know with a helicopter accident and then um the crow and the mm. omen the omen was the other one and uh so i signed up for the free trial and they they have a a like AMC special on there called uh, James Cameron's science fiction or history of science fiction or something like that. And it's like him narrating the history of science fiction and in, in movies. So I was going to watch that. It's got to be goofy. Yeah. But anyway, probably entertaining too. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sure it'll be fun, fun enough. I like to hear him talk. I hope it's just honestly. five hours of, <laughs> I just hope he explains for the whole time why the abyss is the greatest science fiction. Movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> I actually watched him on a Howard Stern recently, like a clip from him on Howard Stern on YouTube. And he was talking about how he made no money on Titanic, how Titanic was the most successful movie of all time. But he's like, I didn't make any money. We went so far over budget and so far over time. I ended up giving, giving my salary back to production to, wow. uh, and he said he didn't sign up for a back end or anything. So he never made any money on Titanic. Jeez. It's pretty insane. Yeah. I'm sure. He fixed that he, on Avatar. I bet he did not do that on Avatar. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He probably <laughs> right, <laughs> remedied right. that on Avatar. And yeah. Two percent of the gross profits or something, making the richest man on the planet. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jr. Yeah. All right, I'll um, I'll do a, do a quick one. Uh, I've been watching a lot of nineteen seventy nine movies, and uh, so I decided to watch David Cronenberg's nineteen seventy nine classic Fast Company mm-hmm. about uh, you know, drag racing. Um, it's bad. It's not good. Oh. Nothing interesting happens uh, at all in a movie directed by Cronenberg involving race cars or just involving cars. We think Cronenberg and cars, we think crash. And uh, fuck yeah, we not do. Crash. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because they're fucking uh, five second drag races, there's not even like a cool race scene because mm. you can't do a cool racing and like build tension when the race is five to six seconds long. And, uh, I mean, there's like sex in it, but it's like totally normal sex. And I'm like, who the fuck directed this? It's just like a, is this his first film? Like a late, no, I I don't think so. He had already done like a, like the brood or he had done one of those, a couple of those Canadian horror movies already. Oh yeah. He did did rabbit already. Right. And the, well, the brood came out the same year. So you're telling me the drag scene uh, in American Graffiti is better than this? <laughs> I'm going to tell you that everything in American Graffiti is better than this. <laughs> um, it, I, I'm not even going like, to go on like, with what it's about because it's just about 
racing and like one of them's maybe over the hill and blah 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 oh. uh it's it's like it's a 90 minute movie where i just sat there the whole time like what's the fucking point of this it's you, you know there are some silly moments and there's like boobs to make you know teenagers happy because it's the <laughs> late 70s early 80s kind of deal and that's like that's it fuck it yeah was, it was dumb as fuck oh, uh, 2.25 out of 5 ouch um, yeah, he did, he had done a uh, shivers and rabid before this. Apparently the brood came out after, but in the same okay. year, mm. he didn't really come into his own until he did gotcha. scanners. Right. I mean, probably that's when yeah. he becomes him. Yeah. Anyway, Kevin. The, oh, sorry. JR. Rabbit is certainly, uh, I don't know. Sorry. Am I on a delay right now? I don't know. A little bit. Oh, but, uh, yeah. rabbit is more interesting than rabbit's more interesting than fast company. Of course. Okay. Yeah. I have no doubt. Yeah. Kevin. Uh so I watched The Lady from Shanghai. Oh yeah. Directed by Orson Welles, starring him and Rita Hayworth. Rita. Rita. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a reason uh what's his face had the poster of her on, on the wall in Shawshank. Yeah. Yeah. She's good looking. <laughs> <laughs> so like because it was really big. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you guys back. I feel like I'm on like a, like a three second delay. That's fair. Okay. Sorry. Cool. You want? Okay, I'll, I'll pause the recording. Two. Go ahead. So the funny thing about this movie, like I, I feel like I was misled by the title. Like I thought it was gonna be like some kind of like mystery like in the orient because you know lady from shanghai from shanghai she's not in shanghai i guess but uh but yeah i mean so so the plot orson wells is this irishman who falls who falls in with rita hayworth and her lawyer husband and his and the lawyer's 'er ne'er-do-well partner who has this crazy scheme about faking his own death so he can get away from it all. Um, while while all this is going on, uh, Orson Welles and Rita Hayworth are falling in love, and I don't know, like, at this, at this point it gets so far into... What I just described is, like, so far into the movie that, like, by that, by this time... The the movie has already started to wind down, and the plot has started to wind down too. Um, I think that was my biggest thing, my biggest beef with this movie. Like, there's so much that goes on, and it feels like the like actual like genuine plot and the ending come like really quickly. Um, but the last few minutes of it have like really interesting imagery. And like it, part of it takes place in the wacky mirror hall of a of an amusement park, and the way uh, Orson Welles films his character being in this sort of like drugged out state was really interesting. But uh, yeah, I'm not doing the movie justice. It wasn't ter- it wasn't bad by any means, but it feels like describing it now. It's like. Why would anyone want to watch this movie from from my description? So, I don't know. Maybe Jr. can do a better job. 
No, I can't. I haven't seen it in forever. Okay. I would say this though that um, like Orson Orson Welles could direct a roll of toilet paper if he could find one, and I would watch it because <laughs> I mean, just I, I think he is a very he has a way of making things interesting. I agree, and I will say that his Irish accent was really good. Like like li- like tiny little inflections in his voice that like you know you typically would only hear from like an actual Irish person. So yeah, big props to him on that. Yeah. I mean, he's a he was like a legit stage trained actor. Yeah. Um that could definitely he could definitely do his voices. Yeah. His face is fat. Well, he was fat. Whoa. Well, not not in the 40s. Not as fat as he would become. True, true, saying true, Brando true. was fat. I mean, Brando would right, get right, fat right. till later. Anyway, right. <laughs> I watched uh, Bad Company, directed by Robert Benton, starring Jeff Bridges. And another young man who is not a well-known actor anymore, I guess. His name's Barry Brown. Have you heard of this guy, JR? No. Barry Brown, I guess, was he's the star of this movie. Jeff Bridges is like the second lead. And uh, Barry Brown uh, killed himself a few years after this apparently, but he was like on his way to becoming like a, like a big movie star, you know, and he's uh, apparently kind of a big deal. Uh, but anyway, he's good in this. Uh, he plays, um, this young man who's trying to avoid the, avoid serving in the civil war. And so he decides to go West with Jeff Bridges and his gang of hoodlums. They're like thieves. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's about their camaraderie. And it's essentially like a bunch of vignettes of them trying to survive and they have to steal from people. They have to do various, uh, you know, deeds for people in order to get food and things like this. They, they stop, uh, there are these like this pioneer couple and the, the guy like let he prostitutes his wife to them and they all get to sleep with her. And, uh, then they realize that like, you know, the, the good natured, uh, you know, steal a, steal, steal a pie from the lady's windowsill kind of thing is dangerous, mm. more dangerous than it seems. And, uh, the youngest of their crew gets shot in the back of the head in a very gr- grisly graphic scene. It's incredible. The squib, it's amazing. Mm. And, uh, he's like 11 and he gets his head blown off. And, uh, yeah. And then little by little, their gang just kind of falls apart because of, you know, they're angry about their situation. They're angry at Jeff Bridges for leading them down this path. And, they realize that Barry Brown isn't uh, as badass as he appeared at the beginning. He's more like a kind of a goody two shoes. <laughs> he's oh. trying to pretend like he's a badass. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just um, extremely entertaining. Mm. Uh, one of these, you know, kind of uh, it's on lists of acid westerns. I don't know if I. I mean, if you're thinking of acid western as a, you know flubbing or, or flubbing the conventions of, of your traditional Western. And this is definitely that it's not, it's like, it's trying to be ultra real. You know, these people aren't good looking people. They're, you know, gross. They haven't bathed in days, you know, this kind of thing. Everything's muddy. The, the landscape looks desolate and disgusting and they're, you know, desperate. Uh, but it's not like, you know, psychedelic, it's not like El Topo or anything like that. Right. <laughs> you know? But, uh, or even like the hired hand, the hired hand gets more psychedelic than this does. Mm. Uh, but this is definitely on that level. I mean, it's very well made and, uh, beautifully shot by, 
I remembered who it was, but then I forgot. Fucking. <laughs> sorry. Gordon Willis. Yes. The Godfather. Uh, oh. The guy who shot Godfather. And he's actually got scenes in, at the very beginning of this that are like top lit. And it looks just like the opening scene of The Godfather where oh. the I Believe in America speech. It's mm. really incredible. And this is the same year as no, the year before The Godfather. No, same same year, 72, 73. Uh, was it 72? It was 72 and 74, right? Godfather and Godfather 2? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, same year, I guess. So, mm. But yeah, really, just a really solid watch. Uh, get on it. It's on Prime. All right. If you haven't seen this and you think you're a fan of Westerns, you're not until you see this. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's. I highly recommend it. I gave it a four and a half. I really liked it a lot. I'd nice. watch it again for sure. Cool. Jar. Uh, so I searched for Bad Company, and the first movie that comes up is a 2002 movie directed Joel by Schumacher. Joel Schumacher. Yeah, classic. Anthony uh, Hopkins and Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this... When a Harvard-educated CIA agent is killed during an operation, the secret agency recruits his twin brother. This sounds like yes. gold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never uh, saw it. It was actually... Weirdly enough, that movie came out at the height of my Schumacher adoration. I used to, Schumacher was like one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, and this is like right wow. smack dab in the middle of my high school career, and like I was like super into Falling Down and Tigerland, and mm. you know just anything that wasn't the Batman films, I was like, this guy's a fucking eight millimeter. This guy's a genius, you know. What about uh, Flatliners? I had I actually still have never seen Flatliners. Really? <laughs> I know, right? I haven't seen Flatliners or Saint Elmo's Fire, but uh, oh, I, I didn't get to them in time before I realized that he's kind of a hack. Although I still love, <laughs> I still love Falling Down. Uh. But um, not really because of his direction. Uh, but yeah, uh, I just never never got around to Bad Company. I, I think it was because it was rated PG thirteen. I avoided oh, it. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in high school. If it doesn't have boobs, I'm not watching it. Amen, brother. No, I, I was really <laughs> angry about ratings back then, and especially the PG thirteen rating. And mm. I had this uh, ill conceived stance against PG thirteen films. Like I wouldn't see them. You know, I was like, fuck that shit. There. You know, they're bending to the system like, and all this kind of oh. stuff. Yeah. They're not, I mean, they're obviously not going to be real if they're PG-13. Right. <laughs> you know, if I can't say fuck, it's not real. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I still feel that way, sort of. I still resent films that are rated PG-13 just because of the history of the rating. I mean, I hate movies that are, I hate the ratings. I hate ratings. They're retarded. But, like, the MPA is corrupt and ridiculous and evangelical. But, uh, but you know, the, the PG-13 still gets on my nerves, but I, I don't. I don't, you know, hold it against a filmmaker anymore like I used to. Yeah. You see the social That's network good. and the social network is a masterpiece and it's rated PG-13 and what are you going to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it would be any better if you rated it R and dropped some more F-poms in it. Probably would be a little bit better. <laughs> Jer? All right, I caught up with... Uh... With Waves, which was released, you know, probably November-ish last year, mm. uh, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, and uh, you know, it was just kind of on my radar as an indie movie. I should see, uh, you know, Sterling K. Brown can be a good actor, so and, and I heard he is good be. in it. Uh, I didn't, I never saw the last movie he did. Was it? It came. It came it comes, at night. It comes at night. Comes at night. Yeah, you saw that, right? Yes. Jonathan? Yes, I yeah, did. Okay. It's a piece of shit. Okay, good. <laughs> good, good. Um, 
I never saw uh, what's his first one called Sh- Shakira or something. <laughs> it's about like the the woman who's like an ant or something. Oh, I, I, I haven't seen it either. This is supposed to be pretty good. Way, Waves is definitely the first thing I've seen from him. Yeah. But um, I, you know, it's like a pretty I'm gonna call it like a standard story, but it is still like one of the stranger uh, films that came out last year that I saw. It is uh, follows one family over the course of about a year. Sterling K. Brown is this kind of like just tough, hard father uh, in Miami trying to make sure his kids, his high school age kids are successful. Um, Luce's uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. is this, uh, he's a senior, he's a star wrestler, he's got a committed girlfriend and he suffers a career ending injury and finds himself enjoying pain meds too much. And then uh, Taylor Russell is his younger sister who finds herself trying to cope with all of her family drama and catches the attention of a goofy Lucas Hedges because somehow Lucas Hedges is still playing high school kids. Yeah. It feels like, <laughs> is he like 30 now? What's going yeah, on? He's gotta be, <laughs> uh, he's just like, but, um, he's just like Chalamet, man. They're just like, they're going to be playing kids until the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like Lucas Hedges is, he's just such like a weird blocky shape. <laughs> like just, like, he, he looks older than that. Whereas Chalamet looks like a little child. Yeah, Chalamet is boyish for sure. Mm, More boyish. Um, I'm not going to say too much about the plot just because it goes to really interesting and surprising places. But the like the real surprise and just like heavy hitter of this movie is like a very interesting structural choice that totally changes the film about halfway through and uh, I think changes it for the better. So where I was like, you know, in, I was sort of in on like the first half of the movie. I, like once this shift happens, I was like, oh, I'm totally in. I like this. Um, however, Schultz is definitely from like the film school of showy camera movement for no reason, at least in this movie. And uh, I found it super distracting at first because that just kind of, if I can't discern a reason for why your camera is super, um, kinetic then i don't usually like it but the story is good enough that i kind of my annoyance fell away at a certain point and sterling k brown and kelvin harrison jr and taylor russell are all really good and lucas hedges is he's lucas hedges he's doing he's doing his thing he's fine um this is definitely worth checking out four out of five you know, I had uh, been really uninterested in this thing from the trailer, and uh, it just reminded me of like Moonlight a lot. And I was just like, I feel like I've like this feels like Moonlight, and I'm just gonna watch it. It's gonna be like another fucking family drama about a minority family, and I don't understand what I'm supposed to be feeling. I really thought the son was gay too. Uh, no, you know, he's not. but I, I know that I've, I've actually, I know what the change that you're talking about. So like, I've listened to an in-depth okay. review of this film on another <laughs> podcast and they talk spoilers, but, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I just, uh, maybe it's be, be it comes at night, left such a bad taste in my mouth, but mm. I, 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 I mean, I, I'd watch it. Is it on, is it on prime or something or is it? No, I had the, uh. I had a Netflix Blu-ray. Nah, shit. Well, maybe <laughs> if it comes on streaming someday, I'll. It, it's gonna. Give it's it a gonna go. appear on some service soon. Sure. 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 Yeah, yeah. I'd give it a shot then if it was easy to access. Kevin. 
So I finally got around to watching Parasite. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, God damn, this movie is good. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, we're, we're pretty much over it, though. So. <laughs> John? <laughs> no, I, I still love it. JR didn't even like it as much as us. He gave it a four yeah. and a half. He, he practically hates this movie. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's 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 so it's so well done. Like all all of the acting and the writing is just spot on, mm. and like like the the emotional the emotional stuff is like so like hits you hits you so hard, and um. Can try to say his name. Bong Joon Ho. No, the 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 lead actor. Oh fuck, I don't know that guy's name. Uh, Kong S- Hong Kang Su. No, Song Song Kang. Ah, damn it. Song, Song- <laughs> Kang Kang's in there in the middle. Song Kang Ho. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, just like uh, Jr. said. Um, On IMDb, it's wh- Kang Ho back. Song, but whatever. Well, song is the family name. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, like like Jr. said a while back, like he has such an expressive face, and like I I love that scene where like um they're they're like rehearsing the lines, and and the son's like, Dad, Dad, your emotions are like up here. We need to bring them like right down here. And then you know his father responds in kind, and it's just a it's so good. Yeah. So damn good. Oh yeah, it's very very tight film. Yes, the screenplay is very very tight. Yeah, and uh, who is the I'm trying to find the lady who plays the daughter of the bad family? Oh yeah, um, she is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> when she's doing, the, I keep seeing this uh, animated GIF of her doing the the song oh, yeah, thing the, with yeah, her fingers. Yeah. You know, and right? Like, yeah, she's just she is astonishing anyway great film loved it yeah so, and, oh sorry jr go ahead no i was gonna say now that we've all seen it and we've also all seen memories of murder because sure. we did a deep dive on it mm-hmm. uh you know that was you know filmed in 2002 i think right and uh song kang ho looks like he's only aged <laughs> like five to ten years yeah yeah, um, yeah. Every time I see him, I'm like, that, that can't be the same guy that's in these other movies, right? Because right. those movies are like 20 years ago. Yeah, right. this guy doesn't age. Well, he's, you know, and I guess the whole, you know, Asian people in general don't really age as much or as uh, obviously as Westerners net normally do, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's do as many stereotypes as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a positive one. Like, they're good at math. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, are you, still, are you finished with that one? Yeah. All I mean, right, good. Yeah, Parasite Rules. I uh, I watched, uh, rewatched. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about these. I rewatched Bad Lieutenant and King of New York, two Abel Ferreira classics. Probably my two favorite Abel Ferreira films. Mm. Uh, King of New York actually rose an entire star for me on this watch. It's oh. a perfect five out of five now. <laughs> it's Whoa. just wonderfully shot. Like, they're just, these movies are so good looking, especially King of New York. Uh just amazing some of the blood work in them is incredible Mm. christopher walken just a delightful performance (laughs) you know all his little weird tics and ad-libs that he has just phenomenal i love love these two films and uh king of new york is like the 
more entertaining genre picture equivalent of Bad Lieutenant. Like Bad Lieutenant's like a hardcore drama, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like it's not really trying to be a thriller or anything. It's just like about this man's slow demise. Whereas King of New York is about this man's fast demise via violence, extreme violence mm. and greed. But of course, uh, you know, he's painted as like a really nice guy. Like he's trying to get a children's hospital built and shit like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just a great film. Mm. Um, but anyways, I'll jump, I'll jump right over those two into Marathon Man, which I rewatched because uh, my buddy Rustin had never seen it ah. and uh, had to be done. Yeah. A, and a perfect classic. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. I, yeah. Every time I watch it, I'm just like astonished it's, at how good it is. It's so I'll, damn good. I'll tell you what I like the most about it. And this is something I, I, meant, I wanted to mention about The Killing, too. My favorite thing about The Killing are these long telephoto lens shots of the horses running. Like these super close-up shots of the horses. But you can tell they're being shot from like across the, you know, because they can't get into the racetrack, you know? Right. And it's the same thing here in all the stock footage when he's running and he's thinking about the other the runner and the I guess I don't know if it's Jesse Owens or who I think it, is. it might be Jesse yeah, Owens yeah the African American runner and and it's just like these super tight shots of his face while he's running I love that shit I can't even explain why that's cool I just love it I love the way it looks I love that it cuts to that whenever he's run I love it when it cuts to it when he's running from them from the Nazis yeah and it cuts to it I'm just like amazing <laughs> it's like showing his inspiration or something I mean it's just yeah. really really incredible. Roy Scheider is amazing, of course, as always. The yeah. scene when he kills the assassin and the assassin like wraps the wire on his hand, and his hand just like explodes with blood. Yeah, amazing. The and then he like karate chops yeah. the guy. Yeah, it but hurts then he his re- hand. Like, ah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. And yeah, uh, yeah just um, a really well-made, beautiful film. Mm. I, it makes me wish Schlesinger would have done more thriller-type stuff like this. Yeah, as like, opposed to you know. Falcon the, and the Snowman. Well, I mean, Falcon and Snowman is, <laughs> yeah. is a thriller, I guess, but yeah. that's, I mean, that's so much later, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I just wish he would have done more, I don't know, like action-y kind of stuff. Like, this has got some good action sequences in yeah. it. And, um, uh, the, of course, the thing where he gets those guys to rob his apartment. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's the creep, man. It's the creep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. And, and I, I still love that, uh, that scene where, like, William Devane, like, does, like, the... Does the heroic rescue like oh, keep yeah. your head down? Oh, like, yeah. but, you know, and explains the plot to him, and yeah. then like, then like, it's a perfect way to give exposition. Yeah, and you can also when you're rewatching it and you know that he's a scumbag, yeah. you can tell what he said. Like, it's just, his performance is great because like what he's saying is like, oh, he's trying to get him to tell him stuff. You know, yeah. he's trying to get him to admit that he knows shit. Yeah, he doesn't really know anything, and you can see Devane getting frustrated with it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just so good. Yeah, so good. A masterpiece. Yeah, just an absolute stone cold. Yes. Love it. Uh, yeah, so I watched those. That was a boring uh, time on my letterbox diary. I watched three, five, and a fi- five out of fives in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Needed a palate Gross. cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> Go Obviously, ahead, you're too easy. Well, no, 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 no. These are just, just I mean, well, I mean, Bad Lieutenant is in my top 50, and I think Marathon Man is also, and uh, mm. these are just, uh, these are films that I, re- yeah. you know, I've seen mm. a number of times now. Yeah, it's not like I watched. You know, if, I, if I'd give a, hit, a hidden life a five out of five, you might have said you're too easy. You know. Yes, I thought about it during. Parts even though, of it. Mm. even though every Malick movie has potential, it's got five out of five potential. You know, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen Song to Song, but Knight of Cups was a piece of shit. 
So don't don't see song to song. Don't see that. <laughs> I almost bought oh it blind God. at Big Lots. It was like two dollars oh on Blu-ray, and I was like, I could just buy this and check it out. But I was like, I just I, I know I'm not gonna like it. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of owning this? It's I remember Jonathan talking about it, and it's like yeah. he just shat all over it. Yeah, because it's awful. Well, mm. I'll talk it's about awful. Hidden Life in a little bit. So, yeah. Jr. All right. Um, it's Paul Schrader. You know, this is very uh. We're a very pro Paul Schrader podcast. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. You could, you could call you could call us PSP. We're we're rename ourselves to PSP. Yeah, <laughs> just the pro or the Paul Paul Schrader, Schrader podcast. pro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, just Paul Paul Schrader podcast. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I feel like we talk about him enough, but uh, I watched Hardcore because again, that came out in 1979, and uh, it was on the Criterion Channel. I've been meaning to check this out for a while. George Ski, George, George, George C. Scott, <laughs> his uh, his teenage daughter runs away in Los Angeles while on a uh, Calvinist youth convention. Yeah, and uh, Scott's a super, just deeply religious, appropriately sexually repressed Midwestern man. Um, and the daughter, you know, I guess we don't really know until the very end when she talks. Like, she just gets away from that. Uh, overbearing family life to make porn in Los Angeles. And she's Fuck definitely yeah. in high school, definitely underage. We, you know, I, I don't think the actress is, but we like, we like see part of a, a porn film that this like apparently 16, 17 year old girl makes. It's disturbing. Mm. Uh, he hires private detective Frank Boyle, MVP to find the girl. Boyle finds out that she's making the underground porn film shows them or shows one to George Peter Scott Boyle. in uh what? Peter Boyle. Oh Peter Boyle why did I write Frank? <laughs> I was thinking about that when you said dumb. I was like Frank Boyle. Was, Peter Boyle. Who the fuck is, who the fuck is Frank? <laughs> Frank is, Frank is, is his name on uh, uh everybody on loves Raymond. Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Barone. <laughs> Peter Boyle, the wizard. We need to have the yeah. The film page open when I write these notes. <laughs> it's all good. It's a simple mistake. That's dumb. All right, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but like, it's great seeing Peter Boyle get so much joy out of showing uh, this, you know, deeply sad, scared father watch this porn film starring his daughter. It's really fucked up. Uh, so George C. Scott flies to L.A. and immediately gets to uh, detective, detecting, detectiving himself. Uh, and then the movie becomes less interesting. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Scott just kind of like follows a lead and then he punches somebody or gets punched by somebody then gets thrown out of a club and then it's kind of like wash repeat. I like the scene where he dresses up as the porn producer though and got the mustache on and the wig and everything. Oh my God. And that of course ends with him punching a dude. (laughs) Uh, and I don't know, you know. It's like he he links up, gets hooked up with this uh, stripper porn actress played by Season Hubley, uh, who leads him to like instead of just clubs where he punches people, it's uh, clubs in different cities where he punches people or gets punched by people, and uh, then you have an ending that's not surprising at all. And uh, my problem here, besides kind of like the weird episodic structure, is my problem is Scott. I uh, I like George C. Scott. Mm. But uh, this definitely felt like a De Niro style part, though De Niro was probably not, not old, old enough, enough for it yeah. at the time. Mm. But it's like 
he needs to go from like quiet and repressed to like menacing and angry. But George C. Scott just has that like old Hollywood training in him. And whenever he goes angry, he just goes super big. Mm. Um, He just feels out of place in the movie where no one else is going big the way he is. And I just, I didn't love that. I remember Uh, thinking that, uh, I remember thinking that uh, it wasn't, like I thought it was going to be more of a almost like a rape revenge kind of film like where you know his daughter's been wronged so he goes and mm. kills everybody who wronged her you know what I mean like I thought it was yeah. going to be more of a violent picture I guess but it's more like it's I, I mean I thought it was like loosely based on like the searchers kind of and uh oh, definitely yeah, yeah. And so ah. there, it's it's in that vein I'd say uh that was my next note oh so sorry <laughs> no uh, I it definitely seems like uh, like Schrader mixed his favorite things, which are religion mm-hmm. and uh, and the searchers. Two favorite things: religion and searchers and porn. I was gonna say this. This kind of sounds like a like slightly more religious take on um, Get Carter. Because mm. like that's yeah yeah. I haven't seen Get Carter uh, and, either. One of them. And, mm. I'm being harsh about the Scott stuff. A lot of this movie is really good. And I really liked, uh, I'm going to, I don't feel like I'm saying her name right, but season Hubley or Hubley. I think it's Hubley. You know, she plays like the stripper and she tags along with him. And I really like her, even though she doesn't actually do anything important. Mm. She's just like there for this section of the movie and is like a great burst of, of energy but she's really just there to get like slapped at the end, uh, and and she's also uh, she's also in another movie from 1979, uh, John Carpenter's Elvis biopic, which mm. I have four, forty minutes left. She plays Priscilla Presley. She's Big in year uh, for season Hubley. She's in hmm. uh, Escape from New York a couple of years later too. Yeah, well, because oh. she married uh, she married Russell Crowe. Oh, is that right? After filming Russell, uh, Russell Crowe. Crow. <laughs> This God guy. damn it, where is my brain? You are drunk, man. <laughs> JR, like, dude, like Russell. Put down shit. put down the can, Russell man. Crow. <laughs> she married Russell Crowe in nineteen seventy nine. That's terrific. That is terrific. Oh my god. Kurt Russell. Yeah. She married Kurt Russell after the Elvis biopic. I did not know that. Um so last note on hardcore, which I gave a three and a half out of five. Uh, the movie I ultimately wish I got was the slow descent into porn and sex addiction of Peter Boyle's private detective because we get like enough of these scenes of him like having this like subtle grin as he's like watching porn and we see him <laughs> uh, like Scott like busts up in his apartment where he has a, uh, a hooker on top of him. It's uh, that movie someone should make that movie right now mm. deal it'd be great um yeah. that, would, that would be like way more appropriate now in this day and age for like yeah a detective to have yeah. a, a porn addiction <laughs> i uh i slapped this right below uh yeah. paul schrader's other calvinist film first reformation first Did I say reformed. that right jesus christ did right. you do that on purpose sort of yeah. <laughs> I'm just uh we're just gonna play up drunk John now. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're saying you like this as much as first reformed? A little bit less. A little I bit like, less. Uh, first reformed a little bit more. Mm. 
What's your favorite Schrader film that you've seen now? Or have you not talked about it yet? Wink, wink. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Just kidding with you. <laughs> my favorite one is, is Blue Collar by far. Oh, really? Or, or wow. Blue Collar is awesome. And then uh, I love Light Sleeper as well. Wow. I like both those films. I need to rewatch Light Sleeper. My favorite is probably. Is it Patty Hearst? No, it's probably First Reform, but Patty Hearst would be right, right below it. Like Patty Hearst, I think, is a masterpiece, but. It's what I'll talk about I feel like it. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it whenever you get to it, Kevin. I'm out of movies. <laughs> okay. um, I, I will say though, the uh, uh, Blake and I finished watching Gargoyles, and <laughs> the third season is pretty bad. Ouch! Damn. Like so they like got the in there, st- and they were trying to make it more kitty friendly, or sort of like sort of more kid friendly, but like it lo- it lost like so much of like the cohesion of plot and of uh of story and character like all of a sudden these characters are just doing things that they like in the second season they never would have done so it you know it's a real weird real weird thing um apparently like the uh the writers from the first and second season they all left and so i guess they were like scrambling to figure out what to do yeah but uh but yeah just like everything's like so much so less interesting and And then uh, it just petered out and got canceled huh pretty much bummer well uh i i i watched less than zero i finished the Mm. the novel by brady Ellis, his first novel Mm -hmm. was not a huge fan of it to be honest but i love the Mm. structure of it like it's very easy to read like each chapter is like half a page long (laughs) (laughs) so you know you're reading like a 190 page book but it's really like 75 pages if you really (laughs) like break it down yeah and uh and i like the nihilism of it i'm into that kind of thing i like the idea of these it reminded me a lot of um like river's edge the film river's edge which is about you can't reason crispin glover and they're they're all their group of friends they discover the dead body of one of their friends by the river have you seen this movie no i haven't they discover the dead body of one of their friends by the river and uh they essentially just like don't do anything about it like they don't tell anybody and they just go and look at it and like Mm. they're just kind of very apathetic about the whole situation right it's really good it might be a deep dive coming up one of these days but um that's the that's the book reminded me of that the film Mm. is entirely different than the book and it's like the book is plotless like it's just vignettes of Right. The main character Clay in first person coming home to LA from his uh his freshman year as a college student and uh you know, experiencing parties and hanging out and staying up and watching M T V and doing Coke and smoking weed and getting drunk. Have you seen have you read the book? I haven't read the book, but I saw the movie like forever ago. Okay. So in the movie they change that into an anti drug kind of thing where it's like Robert Downey Jr. is yeah, so strung yeah. out that his buddy Clay, played by Andrew McCarthy, horribly miscast. <laughs> I've never seen Andrew McCarthy in anything, I don't think. He is awful in this. and uh, I'm not sure I have either. He's absolutely terrible. And mm-hmm. like he's supposed to be like this kind of like suave, you know, no-nonsense kind of guy. But he's just mm-hmm. such a like a little, you know, nerd of a person. I just yeah, don't believe yeah. it. And he's like making out with Jamie Gertz. And I'm just like, this guy... Yeah would never have the balls to make out with Jamie Gertz and fuck her like he's supposed to be doing. And, mm. uh, and she's insanely hot in the movie. She's like 21, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, the movie's a, 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 
pretty big mess, I'd say, and it's because it strays from its material so much, and it becomes mm. this kind of like after school special of a movie. And yeah, like like yeah, the movie definitely feels like a like you know against the excesses of the eighties. Sure. Whereas yeah. whereas like American Psycho really kind of embraces the excesses. I mean, of the 80s I, yeah, I think that's his in, thing. In how, I mean, in how it does in yeah. less than zero. There's no. There's not really a. There's a certain level of condemnation about drug use and stuff, mm-hmm. but. Clay never he doesn't seem to regret doing any of the drugs that he does in the in the book he just does them and it's almost right. like it's just super casual it's just like well yeah we're doing drugs because we're partying that's what you do when you party right whereas in this it's like you never see Clay do anything and he's offered cocaine he's like no nah, no thanks you know it's just like and it's right. just like it'd be more badass to show him doing it and saying it's no big deal because I can handle it whereas Julian Robert Downey Jr. cannot handle it Mm. You know, then, then then I don't know. The story would make more sense. I guess they're afraid that that's going to send the wrong message to children or something. But I mean, like, what children are going to see a rated R movie in yeah. nineteen eighty five? You know, right? It's yeah. I mean, or eighty seven, eighty seven. Anyways, yeah. it's just not very good. It's shot really well. It's beautifully shot. Um, and I mean, some of the scenes are okay. And Robert Downey Jr. tries really hard. I think he's just too young. Yeah, I mean, I think, and like. <laughs> I remember when um, Age of Ultron came out, and like, yeah. there was there was a lot of comparison, like because it's They're both James Spader's and yeah, it. James yeah. and and James Spader is also like lording over Robert Downey oh, Jr. through true, most yeah. of the movie, so yeah. there were a lot of comparisons with uh, that. See, going into it, I thought Spader was playing the Clay character, and I was mm. like, "That's good, like that makes sense yeah, to that, me." Yeah, and I'm like, "He's he's Rip," and I'm just like, "He's good as that character. He makes sense as any as I mean, Spader's good, but." The kind of vacant uh, nihilism that Clay has in the book, mm. Spader could have done. And they just get rid of that for the film. And that's why Andrew McCarthy, I think they thought he would work. And he just doesn't work at all. He's awful. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't. I, I did not like it. I, mm. will, I immediately took it off my shelf and put it in the to-go pile. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to watch stuff I haven't seen yet in my, in my collection and just get rid of it. Right. But I guess I can talk real quick about the third man also. Sure. Um, I really don't have a lot to say about it. I did take notes, but um, actually, as I was finishing up my notes, I was realizing that I, don't, I just don't have that much to say about it. I was like, I, was like, I don't know how this is going to be a very good discussion because I don't have that many notes. Yeah, I mean, I was excited to watch this because I knew like uh, Graham Greene had written like the novella and the screenplay, and I love his book, Our Man in Havana. Mm-hmm. So I was looking forward to it. Have you not seen this then? I haven't had a chance. Oh, okay, I didn't like, know if like, you'd, you'd seen it before. Yeah, then. like I, I got images in last night, and that was yeah. like real for me. It was like really down to the wire. This movie is uh, wonderful to look at, and some of the dialogue is a real joy to experience, especially any and all having to do with Trevor Howard's character. He plays a police officer in Vienna, uh, or a, Brit- a British like i don't know whatever you know it's like it's like cut into the the city's like cut into four after world war ii oh right just like uh germany i guess Mm -hmm. and uh he's the british he's like one of the british guys on the british side and he's wonderful as um calloway or caraway i can't remember his name and uh there's just like some verbal sparring matches between him and the lead character that are really great and uh the whole, you know, the third man thing, I, I don't know how much I really understand that title after watching this movie. I mean, I get that the third man 
and maybe Jared can help me with this because I know he's seen this. There, there's this talk about what happened to Orson Welles's character that he got hit by a car, and his buddy who's investigating is trying to figure out what happened, and he's getting different stories. And one of the stories is that there was a third man helping to bring his body across the street. And I don't know if we're supposed to like read that as there is a third man that we or we just never aware of him, or is the third man supposed to be Orson Welles? Why is the movie called The Third Man? Because <laughs> it feels like you figure out that that's bullshit about midway through the movie, and uh, you know that Orson. I mean, spoiler alert: he's alive. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> you know it's Orson Welles. Uh, his goofy reveal of his fat face in the shadows. I mean, just. <laughs> I just can't do it with his weird grin and everything. I'm just, I mean, I'm not into it, but, um, but you know, just rough rough episode for his face. I mean, yeah, beautiful cinematography, a lot of canted angles. Like I don't, Carol Reed, I don't, I've never seen any of his films. It is a him, right? Carol Reed. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Never seen any of his films, but, uh, if he shoots them like this, it's like every single, like every other shot is a canted angle. And I just don't, like what's the what is the point of this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I watched it again, I'd understand it. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Without getting deep into it, like there's a, there's a few scenes I don't understand the motivations of certain characters and stuff. The score is really aggressive. It's zither music, and it's Ooh. like I I like I think it sounds really nice, but I'm not sure it works for the tone of the movie. Like it's a little upbeat for my taste. It sounds, it's kind of reminds me of like an Eastwood film, like how he does, you know, sometimes when he does his own scores, they're like really hopeful and optimistic sounding. And it's like this, you know, dread of a film, like a, like mystic river is just this fucking downer of a movie, but it's got this really hopeful piano score behind it because he had to do the score himself. Mm. And, um, anyway, but yeah, I don't know. The third man's okay. I wasn't blown away by it. I mm. would watch more Carol Reed movies, though, if they looked as good as this. This looks incredible. Mm. I'm sure that's been said a million times. <laughs> and there's like a chase scene in the tunnels is a famous you know, image of right, Orson right. Welles turning around in the light and everything. I don't know. It's fine. I don't know. <laughs> he does. There is There is like a, I mean, this is some, again, just the motivations of some characters are like totally out of nowhere. Like, really bizarre. Something that the lead character does at the end. I just feel like, wouldn't this guy go to jail for like a long time after this? But I don't know. <laughs> they don't bust him. Anyways, I gave it a three and a half. Okay. I didn't dislike it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd watch it again at some point, maybe get more out of it. But uh, not anytime soon. JR? Yeah. So just real quick before my last movie, if anyone is going to watch a Carol Reed movie, um, highly recommend Odd Man Out. Oh, which yeah. is uh, it's on Criterion. Something he made, uh, I think, two years before. I think it was 1947. And uh, it is uh, basically just about James Mason like running from the law and a group that's out to kill him. It is kind of in this noir tradition. And uh, it, I don't know. I'm not going to say that it looks as good as Third Man just because I haven't seen a Third Man in so long. But uh, it is... It is a very compelling story to go along with some awesome visuals. Cool. Highly recommend. Same cinematographer as The Third Man, so Robert Krasker. So it could, probably looks pretty good. Yeah. 
I Go will, watch it. Uh, I will check it's, that uh, out for sure. I like to just lie and say that it's it's 75 minutes. It's probably more like two hours. It is <laughs> one hour and 56 minutes. So okay. yeah, you're way out. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> That's okay, though. Uh, um, yeah. Okay, well, okay, you, you got another one? Yeah, my last one. I just want yeah, to briefly <laughs> mention uh, Patty Hearst. Briefly? What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> talk about hardcore for 20 minutes. Can't talk about Patty Hearst. Uh. Sorry, I don't have as much on this one. But it's uh this is like eighties over the top Schrader done right. Um I, like Schrader was really all over the place in the eighties. Like uh the cat movie he did is awful. Mm. I haven't um, seen that yet. Cat people. Mish- oh right. Yeah. Mishima is great. And uh Patty Hearst is pretty fucking good. It's uh this is another movie where the first half hour is my favorite. Um when Hearst is kidnapped and is indoctrinated by the SLA group that kidnaps her, it's like a, it's a six out of five. The use of lighting, like the blackness of the closet, the bright white of everything outside the closet, the silhouettes of her captors constantly just like spouting rhetoric is, uh, it's just brilliant. And, uh, Ving Rhames as the leader of this group is, is incredible. I, I just loved him. Um, after that, once she's released from the closet and, you know, is coerced or uh, encouraged to join the group, uh, it's it's good. It never reaches the heights of the first act. And Natasha Richardson as Patty Hearst uh, is very good going through the motions of being an SLA member. William Forsythe is pretty fun as, uh, as this guy who <laughs> uh, he's so angry about being... <laughs> White and <laughs> I just wish I was fucking black. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and, then, and then once, uh, spoiler: this is like just over halfway through. Once Ving Rhames uh, dies, uh, he like starts to talk like Ving Rhames and like adopt this voice that he considers black because he wants to be a better leader. And to this group, a better leader is a black leader. Um, and it's it's it's. Truly, it that is truly great. Um, and then there's like you know once they're caught and Patty Hearst goes to trial, she uh, she gives this like final soliloquy about identity and stories, and that's it's it's a bit much and it's a bit on the nose. But overall, the movie is great, and it's a four out of five. Four out of five. No, I won't for you. It's really good. That's been a long <laughs> time since I've seen it. I watched it on Laserdisc. Mm. Um, it's on uh it's on Criterion Channel for twelve more days. I might rewatch it. I need to uh get on that. I uh yeah, but yeah. You wrote an article. I wrote a review of it that's uh on I don't know if it's on our blog. It was on I the thought it was. Baton Rouge Film Club blog. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's on someone's blog. It was on the right. blog before this podcast the proto version of right, this podcast. Right, 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 right. Um anyway. Check out my or someone else's blog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well i uh i'll talk I, I guess i'll briefly mention that i watched head today directed mm. by it's bob rafelson's first movie and it's the monkeys movie and yeah. uh what this is weird okay <laughs> i watched watch i watched it because timothy carrie's in it yeah he's going through timothy carrey's filmography yeah i'm trying to see all the timothy carrey i can and he's in this not a lot but he's in it a little bit and he's completely out of control in it which is great <laughs> he's got like this ridiculous he cut his beard into like these like 
<laughs> it's, it's so strange looking. It's amazing. It looks like Wes Bentley in The Hunger Games. Oh, my of. God. Um, <laughs> it's really great. It's uh, everyone's favorite compliment. Yeah. I really enjoyed Head, though. Oh. Uh, I like it more than I like A Hard Day's Night, for instance. And uh, mainly because I, I think it's not really a monkey's movie so much as it's just like a weird mm. psychedelic, you know, uh, surrealist kind of uh, French New Wave inspired picture you know as opposed to a hard day's night which is more conventional uh it's you know just like about the beatles yeah you know being goofy and funny and stuff and completely harmless whereas this movie in the first five minutes you get a shot of a man being executed a real life footage from vietnam of a man getting shot in the head (laughs) like just really this movie's really uh just where's its um messages on its sleeve you know it's very socially trying to be very socially conscious and stuff like that but it, it's a little goofy with that kind of stuff at some points mm. but i really loved all the victor mature stuff victor matures in this as victor mature amazing <laughs> amazing he's like he just shows up out of nowhere in certain scenes and just like laughing at them <laughs> he never has any lines he's just laughing it is so great and then at one point he's becomes like a giant and he's like trying to step on them oh it's wow awesome as fuck i really enjoyed it it's, and the, the music is great mm. uh i'm not a huge monkeys fan i was when i was a kid but right. it's not a lot of their like it's not like daydream believer and all that kind of right, shit it's like yeah, it's yeah. like more eastern influenced you know like when the beatles got weird that kind of thing yeah is is zappa in this zappa is in this okay, briefly yeah. and his scene is great he's okay. just like a he's called the critic and he's just lead, he's leading a cow around the back lot of a studio, and he just walks up to one of them and says and tells them that they need to be focusing on music more because they're the voice of a, of their generation or something. He's like he's like the the children of this nation are going to be looking to you for answers, so work on your music more. And then he just walks away. That is, <laughs> that is awesome. It is amazing. It's really really great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's eighty five minutes long. You can't beat it. Uh, just just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And actually genuinely funny at parts, too. Like, really funny nice. at parts. Unlike A Hard Day's Night, which tries to be funny. It's just completely, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just not, it's just the humor of the time. It's just not funny now, you know? I mean, I've only seen Hard Day's Night once. I remember enjoying it, but I remember liking Help much, much more. I haven't seen Help. And I should I watch never it. Seen that. Well, I, I mean, know. you know. Is that Lester also? Did he do that one? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I yeah, know, I should watch but it. But it also has like uh, Eleanor Braun and um, uh, I didn't hate a hard day. Yeah. Night, to be fair, I mean I like okay, it. Yeah. I just this I like this a lot more. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyways, but I watched. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was but, gonna say I really like a hard day's night, but it is definitely more in tune with uh, what fans of the Beatles might want and expect from right. a movie. Right. Than, right. Right. Than head. It's I mean, also it, earlier. I mean, it's like 64 is yeah, it, or something. something. Like I mean, this is 68. So this is like more of like hippie centric and mm. acid and getting, you know, far out drug shit. You know? Right. Yeah. It's a lot of weird camera stuff they do with this, like treating the film and like deep, like the, they polarize it or whatever, where they turn the shadows into light and light into shadows and mm-hmm. shit like that. It's like colors and weird stuff. So mm. there are mermaids and I don't know. It's a, it's a weird movie, but, uh, I'm going to watch five easy pieces next. Because I have the BB, BBS box set, and I just need to get through it. I need to watch that again. I've been meaning to <coughs> forever. Oh, and Nicholson's in this, and Dennis Hopper, for like a split second. They oh. just walk through the scene and talk to Bob Rafelson for a minute. Because a lot of this is like <laughs> meta. Mm. So like scenes will just stop, and the monkeys will start screaming off screen at somebody. 
and it's they're like Bob, I'm not doing this anymore. I just can't. And then and then Bob Wilson like walk in, and then in one of the scenes, yeah, Nicholson and, and Hopper walk, and they're just like they're in their costumes from Easy Rider because you can, like this is probably right when they were filming Easy Rider, you know? right, right. And they walk through the set and just talk to Bob and then walk out. It's really great. Mm. Anyways, I watched uh, Hidden Life, Terrence Malick's most recent film about uh, Franz Jägerstatter who is a uh, conscientious objector, I guess, in World War II. Uh, and he refuses to swear an oath of loyalty to Hitler and fight for Hitler and the Nazis because he feels like they're e- evil. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's a really, really good movie. It's right up my alley. Mm-hmm. It's about faith and about ethics and morals and about a man standing against a system and I love all that kind of shit and it reminds me a lot of Silence uh, Scorsese's film except that Scorsese's Silence is a much more beautiful film in every conceivable way Uh, and I mean that mainly aesthetically like this movie is digital as fuck like it looks Uh. bad at points like some of the shots are some of the shit looks great like there's these landscape shots where the clouds are moving over the Austrian mountains. And it's just, I mean, you can't believe there are places that look this beautiful on earth. Mm. It's amazing. And there are uh, locked off shots of them, you know, cutting grain and shit in fields. It looks amazing. And then, you know, in, in between those kinds of things, which is like classic early Malik, which is what I'm like, yes, this is great. He's getting back into it. He's still running around with his Steadicam and his ultra-wide lens. And uh, just sometimes it just does not hold up. It just doesn't look good. And you can just tell, you know, it's just like, man, that is not filmic. It doesn't, it's not cinematic. And it's unfortunate because if this was, I mean, if it was shot on film, I think it would, I mean, it might have boosted it up a a whole star even. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just the, the look of it is not amazing uh it doesn't look bad it's just not you know it's not up to snuff for for malik for me mm. if we're going back to you know these ki- these kinds of things where he's it's a narrative film it's a linear storyline it's not right. weird and esoteric really um but i found it very emotionally satisfying and uh the acting was incredible especially from the the lead and his the woman who plays his wife whose names are you you'll you'll know the lead he's in um in glorious bastards he plays the bad mm. nazi in the bar king kong right right uh his name is august deal mm. and then his wife is played by valerie poshner or pochner and they're both really terrific in this mm. um and then it's got like a lot of like smaller roles with like people you like matthias Schoenarts, who you know him if you saw him Michael Nyquist oh, yeah. and Bruno Gans. This is their last film. Oh. Bruno Gans is barely in it, but he is mm. he's in it. He's a Nazi uh judge who sentences him. And uh yeah, I mean it's just a good examination of um this man's ethical struggle, you know. Mm. Whereas he wants to return to life with his wife and his three beautiful daughters and he wants to continue to live that life. He can't. He can't in good conscience do it. Right. You know, and they give him hundred they give him so many outs so like you just sign this piece of paper. That's all you gotta do. Don't even worry about what it says. Just sign the piece of paper and you're free to go. And he won't sign the paper. And then his wife comes to see him. There's a, a great scene at the end when his wife sees him right before uh his sentence is executed. Uh 
he his wife comes to see him to to talk to him and she doesn't try to talk him into doing anything but it's like you can read it it's like this is the ultimate test you know it's like he's going to see his wife for the first time in several months and it's mm. going to be like wow now you can get back to her you know all you got to do is sign they give him the paper to sign again all you got to do is sign the paper and get back to her and he asks her he says do you understand and she says yes and that's like that's the end for him he he's as long as she gets why he's doing it then it's fine mm. it's just amazing <clears throat> Really, really good emotional scene. A beautiful moment. And a great film. Just not, uh, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? It's not going to be <laughs> Days of Heaven, you know what I mean? <laughs> He's not going to get back there unless, a, you know, somebody gives him a blank check or something. I mean, mm. yeah. I don't even know if he has an interest in doing film. He just, he seems to have embraced the uh, the ease of the digital. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I mean, like I say, the movie's not all, it doesn't always look bad. It's just there are certain certain shots, certain scenes. There's also shit that he's done that he does in this that he's like never done before, which I think is really successful. Like there's a shot in first person in this where uh, characters getting beat up, and it's first person in the camera, and the guy's beating him up, and it's like mm. never seen Mount Malik do that, and it, it looks really good actually, and it works really well. Um, but I don't know. I'm really excited about his. He's got a movie coming out called The Last Planet, which is about the life of Christ. Which so I think that'll be interesting. Looking forward to that. That's it for me. I guess real quick I should mention that I have been watching the High Fidelity TV show on Hulu. Any good? In which they change the sex of Rob, mm. the lead character, make her make him a woman, right. and they change the sex of the Jack Black character into a woman. And it's good. The show's fine. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. On like the level of like I enjoyed girls, you know, right? And it's that kind of you know, it's about like slacker, kind of idiot millennial hipsters. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's borrowing so much from the film and from the I imagine from the book mm. that I don't know what they're gonna do in the second season when they don't have any of this material anymore. Because <laughs> like they're literally like every single episode has like multiple lines from the movie movie in it. Well, like scenes recreated in the show. And I'm just like, what are they going to do when they don't have this uh, book to mine? Mm. You know, but I don't know. It's all right. She did. I, <laughs> the girl, uh, Zoe Kravitz mm. plays her and she called the beta band, the beta band. In the episode. And I was like, what, what is this? The beta band? It's the <laughs> fucking beta band. Like, this is clearly not someone who listens to music. <laughs> It's just really upsetting, you know. So See, no, that's no, that's how I felt the uh, last time I watched the movie. I was like, "What? Come on!" Oh, I love the movie. You don't uh, like the movie? No, I've mentioned this several times. I don't remember. I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't hate it, but like, it, especially like when they're talking about music, it's like, stop, stop, stop. Well, I mean, I don't always agree with everything they they say in the film about music. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not a big Dylan fan, and they're obsessed with Dylan's thing about blonde on blonde in there but yeah i mean it's whatever i don't care about that it's just it it's i like because it's funny and jack black is funny <laughs> <laughs> i'd have to watch it again it reminds me of um in roseanne in the eighth season or ninth season of roseanne <laughs> <laughs> no seriously dj gets into movies like he becomes like a film nerd oh you know which is like a classic 90s sitcom thing because right. uh Mark, the youngest son in Home Improvement, he becomes a film nerd too in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ becomes a film nerd. And he meets this girl who is actually uh, the actress who was in Hostel Part Two. Anyways, uh, <laughs> he meets her at this at this movie store, and they start talking about movies. 
and she asks him if he's ever heard of Linklater, and then she's no, he he asks her if she's heard of Linklater, and he she says yes, I love slackers. <laughs> 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 I was like, how do, who, who's writing this? They let this get through to the final episode. It's embarrassing. <laughs> you got to write these characters, have them. I mean, it kind of makes sense because they're like teenagers, they're idiots. They probably wouldn't know what the name of the movie is, but yeah. And like that that's that's definitely the movie that they would name. Like right, it wouldn't right. be Dazed and Confused. No. Yeah, that's true. They probably, yeah. probably be more familiar with Dazed and Confused. Yeah. All right. Anyways, let's get to uh Images. It's getting late here. Images is a Robert Altman movie from nineteen seventy two, starring Susanna York, Renee Aubergenois. Rest in peace. Uh Susanna York is dead too, bud. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Rene Orbachonwad like just died like a couple of months no, that, ago. You're, you're so. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember hearing I, about that. I didn't that. know that. Yeah, he yeah. just died recently. Because the only thing I knew him from before I saw this film, or before I re- before he died, and I looked him up, mm-hmm. the only thing I knew him from was the Patriot. He plays the priest in the Patriot who like joins the militia, the fight with Mel Gibson. You don't remember him from uh, McCabe? No. See, I I wouldn't have thought of him in that. Because okay. he doesn't, he didn't stand out to me in that. I don't know. Okay, yeah. I don't know why, but yeah, he. I, if I saw that movie now, I'd obviously I'd be like, yeah, that's right, Robert right, right. because I would know him from this and from, you know, uh, the Patriot, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the Roland Emmerich classic. Anyways, Jr., this is your pick. Uh, what are you thinking about? What What's the reasoning? Oh, you know, I I love Altman, and uh, this is an Altman movie I had always had a uh, highly rated, but had not seen in a long time. Uh, along with what I mentioned uh, last episode where we just haven't done much uh, traditional horror. This is not traditional horror, but it's kind of in, you know, it makes sense to uh, list horror as one of these genres involved in this movie. Uh, it definitely, I, mean, it's a, I would call it a horror film. It's just not, yeah, it's like psychological horror, right? Right. right, right. It is definitely psychological, surreal horror. Um and, you know, I, it's kind of just a movie I wanted to check out again. Um, so a quick plot synopsis. This uh, rich, you know, she's a housewife slash a children's novel writer, played by Susanna York, receives uh, strange interruptions on the telephone line while talking to an annoying friend. And uh, those interruptions are about her husband, Rene Aubergemois. And uh, when her husband comes home, she's shaken by the interactions. And then she also sees her husband uh, shift into a different man and she freaks out. So husband, whose name is Hugh, decides to get some uh, fresh air out of the out of their country estate where York's uh, state of mind continues to deteriorate. And uh, she keeps confusing Hugh for past lovers and ghosts. And uh, she's confusing illusions for reality. And uh, before we go any farther, I'm going to set a rule. We can only refer to these characters by their character names, not actor names, because it will get very confusing very quickly because mm. Susanna York plays Catherine, Renee Aubergenois plays Hugh, Marcel Bazoufi plays a man named Renee. She calls him Rennie in the film, to be fair. Yeah, sorry. Mm. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, and who ends up, of course, being... Uh, someone who is dead and was previously her lover, a man named Hugh Millet <laughs> plays a man named Marcel. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, who is also an ex-lover of Catherine, but is a friend of both, and a girl named Catherine Harrison, 
with the same fucking spelling of Catherine. You know, with the I, y. I did not notice any of that. Yeah. She I, plays a girl named Susanna. Susanna. I so noticed that. Same spelling on Susanna, too. I noticed that uh, Marcel played Renee and Renee played Hugh, but I didn't realize that Hugh was Marcel and Catherine was Susanna and Susanna's cat. <laughs> That's pretty insane. Yeah. That's obviously it, purposeful. I don't know what, what yeah. the purpose of it is, but. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, it's even on like just this super subtle um, subtextual level, it's like set up for some prime identity shenanigans. <laughs> and, uh, and this is not a comedy at all, but um, there's some shit that happens where this could easily be rewritten as like a, a sex comedy with mistaken identities. Right. Because it's, it is the identity of Hugh that uh, Catherine seems to lose like her control of the most. Because mm. we we get into the movie and like once once all the men are introduced, even though one one of them is dead and clearly a ghost, uh, she keeps losing track of who her husband is because his like the way uh, she sees him keeps changing into uh, Renee and then Marcel, and it's uh, it's a lot. What did you guys think? <clears throat> I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was great. I uh, it reminded me of a Polanski film, but like more. I mean, obviously, you know, like very obviously, like a Polanski film. But but mm. I don't like. There's you know, there's a certain look to an Altman film, and his direction is very unique, especially at this time, and uh, all these like long zooms and uh, the pacing of it, and these kinds of things, and. Even the violence, I would say, is more graphic than Polanski tends to get. I mean, maybe mm. Macbeth is as violent, but, um, but yeah, I, I I thought it was I thought it was great. Uh, really enjoyed watching it. I liked Susanna York in it a lot. I thought she was. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything. So, but uh, she, like I've never heard of her. But uh, she's. I guess she won the actress award at Cannes that year, which seems well deserved. Yep. Mm. Uh, she plays the part really well without going nuts with it. Like she doesn't seem to go like over the top with her crazy behavior too much. Like even like her smiling and stuff, it's all very like, she just kind of like subtly grins and things, you know, it's not like you could see a, a less, maybe a less competent actress going over the, over the line with some of the shit that she has to do and mm. some of the things that she encounters. But, uh, yeah, I think she handled it really well. I love, Rene Aubergenois in the film. He's oh, fantastic. He's, he's such a piece of shit asshole. <laughs> yeah. And he plays it so well. Yeah. For Christ's sake, Catherine. Yeah. Oh, I love Jesus all the cursing. Christ. Son of a bitching vermouth. Just amazing. He says son of a bitch like 17 <laughs> times in this one scene. Why it's didn't a- you open the goddamn flu? <laughs> yeah. It's, he's great. Yeah. He's really, really great. I mean, I thought all the acting was phenomenal. I like the... Uh, um, the actor who played Rene, also, R- R- Marcel Bazoufi. Yeah. Uh, Rene was great. Uh all of his, st- I like the, the antagonism, you know, of, you know, well, I'm not really dead and I'm here, you know, you're going to have, yeah. who's this fucking guy and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, yeah. just really good stuff. You can really, uh, tell how she'd get tortured by this. And I, I have an early note. This is not about how good the film is, but the, uh, I was going to say while you were syn- synopsizing, 
She's got like 900 phones in her house, man. What the fuck's up with that? Like, do you remember <laughs> right. that? At the beginning scene? It's like her phone starts ringing. She walks to another room. There's a phone in that room. She walks to another room. There's a phone in that room. She turns around. There's a phone in the bathroom. There's just like fucking phones all over this. Is yeah. that the way things were in the 70s? You have phones I, in every fucking room? <laughs> I definitely thought of that as rich person's convenience. The, mm. her, the amount of money this couple has is is definitely flaunted in the mm. beginning of the movie. Like mm. their their house is pristine. Their bathroom is massive. It looks unlike any bathroom I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, like, like the, the shower is totally shower open thing? because yeah. the yeah. room is, it's so big that it doesn't matter if there's like a, a curtain or something. Yeah. It's uh, and she's got, and, and by the way, there's a fucking phone in the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it is crazy. And I, I, I definitely thought it was meant to show uh, opulence. Fair enough. Mm. I just, I just, like I wrote it down. I was like, Catherine has a lot of phones in her house. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's like other little shit like that. Like when when, uh, when Hugh walked in, I, he's got great driving gloves. He's wearing them yeah. throughout most of the film. He barely right, takes them right. off, but just great the gloves. Amazing looking. Little, yeah. little little holes on the knuckles and everything. Yeah, super cool. <clears throat> but yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was effectively creepy at times. Uh, more so in the beginning before you kind of know what's going on, but. Um, you know, just good creepy imagery. Like when she looks at the cliff and it's, it's a figure up on the cliff and it's her, but you can't really see it. Just oh, like yeah. That's the yeah. disturbing image, you know, somebody's it's, watching you, you know? Yeah. I love that. She's, she, it's fault. The camera's following her on the cliff. She looks down, sees the car drive up. We jump down to her getting out of the car and suddenly we're with her now mm. and yep. she's looking back up and now we're with that character. And it's like, well, who's the real, you know, especially because later on you realize that her doppelganger is kind of her a representation of her madness. And it's mm. like, well, which one's which? You know, it's just really right. interesting. It 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 reminded me a lot of Lynch, and uh, obviously this is like pre Lynch by a while. Mm. And it's just it makes me wonder because he doesn't talk a lot about filmmakers that inspire him very much. But it makes me wonder, like, I mean, obviously he had to have seen this film, right? I mean, like, there's so much of this in. Uh, Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire and you know mm, these movies right. about and it's even even in um, Lost Highway you know this idea of people turning into other people and right you know that the the kind of fear of that I don't know but I wish he would talk about it because <laughs> Altman's <laughs> obviously inspired by Bergman mm. and it's just a it's an interesting like Bergman I, to I, Altman Bal- to Lynch Bal- Altman I think specifically mentioned Persona when talking about this movie mm. yeah. Which, you know, and I know he talks about persona a lot with three women as well. Mm. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I just thought, I just, yeah, I thought it was great. Really, really enjoyed it. Kevin, what'd you think? You obviously hated it. You haven't said anything. <laughs> well, Oh no, he actually did hate it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hate it. Um, like, like, uh, like honestly, like th- through most of it, I was like, uh, yeah, Renee, Renee is great. Um, but like, I don't know most of the time I found I found it kind of hard to follow, and like I you know I I could kind of see what was going on, but like it didn't it didn't like really like connect with me, and like a lot of the time I was look I was um looking I was I was thinking like man I really want to watch uh, Don't Look Now again the Nicholas Reg movie because I think it has like a similar it has like a similar kind of feel but it de- deals with different stuff. I, um, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. I have not seen that. Ah. Never seen a Nicholas Rogue movie that I've liked so I've Jesus stayed away Christ. from it. Mm. 
Why do you announce that kind of thing? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell me one that's good. I don't. I don't get it. Don't look now is good. I haven't seen it. I'd like to see it. I, I mean, seen it. Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie. Yeah. I mean, I like both of them. I almost rewatched Clute today. Huh? Almost came yeah. really close. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, I was. I mean, the idea of you're not following it. Like, you mean you're not following the the, the points of like, well, he just turned into that person, and he just turned into that person, and like, who is? Yeah, who is, and like the, the. But isn't that supposed to be confusing, right? I mean, she's yeah, yeah, losing I'm, her mind, right? Yeah, I'm, I found I'm, it intentionally disoriented. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I guess like I, I don't know. Like I just didn't. It just didn't make me feel anything. Anything. You like, weren't scared. Not really. Oh man, the imagery was so creepy at the beginning, especially. I mean, I thought it was creep. I thought it was creepy, but like, I don't know. I guess I had like different. I mean, I didn't. I had no idea what the movie was about when when I put it in. Yeah. But like, I guess like as it started going on, like I expected different things to happen from the plot, and then when they, you know, they didn't happen, and like, you know, it just kind of goes on, and. I don't know, like, um, I don't know, I think it might be a little long for what it is. But, like, it, it like it felt like it kind of, like, just went back and forth with, like, real, not real, real, not real. And it's like, okay, like, is there, like, I guess I kept expecting some something more to happen. Mm. And, oh, yeah. yeah, like, you know, spoiler alert, you know, there are, you know, she... Maybe kills somebody. Maybe she doesn't. And there are there are parts where like, oh, she definitely did. But then, oh no, she definitely didn't. Tri- uh, well, it's like yeah. I you, you read those as like her killing. She's killing the like if those guys represent uh, quote unquote demons, you know, like uh, uh, right, memories right. in her subconscious that are haunting her. Yeah, she's killing off those memories to get rid of them, right? And like uh, that's why mm. at the end she thinks. Oh, I see myself out of the window. That's my. This is my last demon. I need to kill her, and then right, I'll right. be finished. But she fucks up, and she because she's insane, so she kills. Her. Yeah, <laughs> she kills her own husband. Spoiler, sorry. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I've got I've got a, a definite note about that from when we get to the ending. But I, you know, I definitely see where you're coming from, Kevin. Like this is, mm. you know, there's a way that you look at this where this is really just an hour and forty minutes of uh, surreal switcheroos. Yeah. You know, and and it is it is doing a lot of faking you out with who who she's really killed and who she hasn't. And, you know, when like that, uh, when the character Susanna comes up to the house that, you know, the preteen daughter of uh, Marcel and is like, you know, I haven't seen my dad this morning. And like uh, Susanna York's face as is Catherine just like has this realization that oh shit i might have just actually killed someone she because she has no interest in actually killing anyone of course um and you know it's like it's a perfect facial expression and then we walk into the house and the body's gone because you know yeah oh wait my dad did come home drunk last night and you didn't actually kill him uh i can see how that would get tiring i uh I think I was into all the performances enough and what was going on in her head that I was I was okay with that, but I think that's definitely like a your mileage may vary situation. Mm. I I mean I also I also see the little girl as like okay how you're reading that scene where she she like cuz I was thinking about that too whenever she comes in and and the little girl shows up there's a dead body on the floor and I was thinking too I was like well that guy 
is a definitely real guy. Like, unlike the fellow that she shotgunned who is not real. Right. That right. guy is a real guy. So she may have actually just killed a man, mm. you know, in her psychosis. And uh, that little girl showed up, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, she's going to find her father dead on the floor. And when she didn't, but he comes back later, like, he's dead on the floor after that. And all of the blood is dried and everything. Like, it's been there for a while. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe the girl's not real. And maybe, and because I was reading her as obviously she is a representation somewhat of, you know, among other things, Catherine as a girl, right? I mean, they talk about yeah. that. She says, did yeah, you look yeah. like me when you were a girl? She said, no, I was prettier. And all that kind of stuff. So I was like, there, there's I, obviously I a connection there. I want to be exactly there. like you when I grew up. Exactly. Right, yeah. Right. And, and we're best friends and all that kind of stuff. And so there's obviously a connection between them as well. So I was thinking maybe she's not real, you know, maybe she didn't actually walk in the house and right. You know, it's hard to tell what's going on vis-a-vis mm. that because everything is in Susanne or, or sorry, Catherine's mind. Right. So, which, which I don't, but I don't have an issue with it. I think it's, I think it's fine because I, again, I think it, yeah, mm, yeah. like you said, intentionally disorienting and mm. delightfully. How about, so <laughs> how about, uh, the dog that appears occasionally Yeah, and mm. that Catherine is always like, she's uncomfortable with it. She hates and it. And also yeah. says to the old man, we don't have a dog. Right. Like when, when the old man's like, oh, he must smell your dog. She's like, we don't have a dog. Well, we've right. seen we've seen a dog just kind of like appear twice before and then it appears again later. Mm-hmm. And I, the dog very much fascinated me. I don't know if the dog, I mean, the, so you're, do you, are you assuming the dog is something else from her past? Oh, I'm, I'm not assuming anything. It, it's one of the few things, like there's no explanation for it sure. whatsoever. And I, I find that just fascinating. There are a few almost, things almost like, like that. Almost like in one one shot, like a a dog in the house just like ran in and Altman's like, let's run with it. <laughs> I, I think there are a couple of, uh, I wrote down, I have a whole note for unexplained symbolism. So like the uh, the dangling chimes. Like oh, yeah. the constant, everything's dangling. Like, what is that? Like, they constantly focus on these different things all over the house, in their car, at the house. There's the wind chimes, mm-hmm. like all these things that are just like dangling. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. I just assume mean. it's something sexual. May, yeah, maybe. I don't <laughs> know. I didn't. I just didn't know because there's one point where she sets the scissors on the mantle, and I think the little girl is in the room, and she looks at the mantle, and there's those two like. They're like statues or something. They're hanging from the mantle. Yeah. Oh right, right. And they just I, focus I on them those point, pointy figures. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what that. What is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's cool. I don't know what it means. It's yeah. great. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally into it. I just don't. I, I and just real quick to backtrack real quick though, the scariest moment for me is the first scary moment where uh, uh, Hugh comes home and he's talking to her on the bed and then he starts to kiss her and then suddenly she opens her eyes and it's Renee mm. yeah. and she screams. That was like, that's pure Lynch, right? I mean, like he's, oh yeah, yeah, he's grabbing that for like every scream he's ever got in any of his films. Like that's pure her, Lynch. Like that's Laura was, Dern in every Lynch film yeah, screaming. You know? Pretty much. Her scream was nail biting. It was very painful to hear. Yeah. Uh, and also like the volume I had on my TV, <laughs> I thought was pretty quiet until she screamed and I was like, holy shit. Right. <laughs> I had to turn that down. It it was crazy, and it's 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 one of the few moments where Susanna York goes big because she's asked to to scream bloody murder, and it totally works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she doesn't really. That's what I was saying earlier about her her performance that she doesn't go to that place very often in the film. Mm. Yeah, which is good. It's a smart movie. Well, you know, 
once once all the men are introduced again it's like she has screamed and she's kind of like been in denial about it and she's tried to like just kind of shut it all out but like once all the men are there and she kind of just like starts having to roll with it because she really has no idea who the fuck is who so she can't just start screaming in front of all the men because like one of them is actually going to be Hugh, who's going to be like what the fuck is going on right uh just like her her tactic of how she deals with the the switching is is very interesting to me because she she does roll with it and then gets you know she decides i'm gonna fix it by getting violent with it yeah so that was cool hmm. i uh i should say also that the uh the scores by john williams yeah which i was kind of surprised by a, a great yeah. weird score from john williams totally it's out not, of left it's field not even a score yeah it's, <laughs> yeah it's really it's like a collection of sounds yeah right and but then they credit like somebody else for a lot of the sounds. In oh, it. do they? I didn't yeah. Oh, that. So what the fuck did John Williams do? Who well, there is music. I mean, there's, yeah. there's yeah. score in the yeah. film. I mean, I don't, it's not uh, the, uh, as present. Sound design in general, I thought was really cool. Mm. It's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of like, like weird sounds, unnatural echoes. It's, yeah, it's just interesting. What, what were you going to say, Kevin? I'm sorry. Yeah. That, uh, the montage in the beginning were like, like when it shows her like writing, it's got like the John Williams score. But then like when it shows all this other abstract stuff, it's sh- it's more abstract uh, sounds and things. The abstract sounds apparently were made by Stomu Yamash- Yamashita, who's a uh, Japanese composer, mm. and he worked on uh, the man who uh, fell to Earth. Speaking of Nick Rogue, so. Mm. <laughs> That's I remember that score being a p- sh- really shitty. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Ooh. I don't remember a score in uh, Man Who Fell to Earth. Hey, I sure remember being like really goofy. It's like been too long. Seventies. Uh, anyway. Yeah. It's like, dude. Like, why didn't you just use Bowie's I music? I know, right? God, it's such a fucking disaster. Um, hang on. Uh, okay, I was gonna. Uh, oh, I, well, the, the movie looks really great. Shot by Vilmos Sigmund. Yeah. Uh, one of the great cinematographers in cinema history. Cinema. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea that they use her. The, the like fantasy children's novel or whatever as narration. Mm. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. I've actually, I actually wrote a short film script that did the same thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> once. And, uh, yeah. So a little bit, feel a little bit ripped off here, even though, you know, this is before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know the way that Zygmunt and Altman established like a very dreamy quality on the drive out to the countryside is really awesome. And then mm. like immediately cut with, you know, the zooming in to reveal Susanna York looking at herself. It's a, it's a very way, it's a great way to like do surreal dream becoming surreal nightmare. Mm-hmm. And that the, uh, you know, it stays, it stays very pretty and nightmarish the whole time. I liked it. Yeah. I have a question now. I was confused about one thing, which is when she, is in her bedroom. I don't know when this happens. It's like two thirds of the way through the movie. She's in her bedroom upstairs and she's about to fuck one of the guys. I don't know. And then there's like a nude woman in her bed. Is that her? Yeah. I, I, well, there's, there's a part where she walks in and sees herself in the bed, but then like, and like she screams and, and it's, uh, it's Hugh going like, Hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah, but is that the one? Is that what I'm talking about? The nude? She was like totally nude in the bed. Like you could see her pubes and everything. 
Yeah, that was it. That's her in the bed? Because yeah. I was trying, I was looking at the woman. I was like, is this is that Susanna York? Because I couldn't tell if it was her. I think so. I, I assume so. I don't know who else it would be. but yeah. Right. Yeah. There, I mean, there's not only so many people credited in the film, so I guess it's her. But right, I was just like, well, that's, I think a credit to her performance, where you yeah. can like, you know, just by like her changing her face in such a dramatic way, like, you know, it's like maybe Altman not, was like, it seems like Al- not her anymore. Altman was thinking, nobody's gonna be looking at your face. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's terrible. Um, also, so, there's there's like a little bit of a, an obsession the men in the film with her nipples. They keep touching her nipples. You notice this? When they were, whenever uh, oh, I didn't notice. Whenever Marcel is hitting on her, he like grabs her tits and like starts mm. like flicking her nipples and stuff. And then later on, Hugh does the same thing. But I think that's when Hugh is supposed to be Marcel. So I think oh, maybe right. he's like doing the same thing that he did. Mm. But it was just I was just like, this is pretty wild. Everybody's just touching her nipples constantly. Yeah. Well, there's so there she's in loose fitting clothing the entire time because Suzanne yeah. York was pregnant while filming this. Mm. Oh, sorry. Uh, but that. in that clothing, like. Even though it's loose fitting, like still sort of accentuates her nipples. Yeah, uh, she's clearly brawless. Did you guys notice? Like they mentioned, like once that she is pregnant in the movie. Like that Catherine, the character, is pregnant. I thought that no, was. I, I thought that, that was like she like was pregnant when she was with uh, Renee. Yeah, didn't somebody say that she can't? Yeah, didn't Renee say like you can't have kids or something like that? It's not yeah, like they're they're arguing you. like she, like she faked but, a pregnancy. So Hugh, but Hugh uses like Hugh attributes the freakout to her pregnancy. Oh, I didn't remember so that. I, in the I, movie I, to get her out of the out to the country. I read I read that in the Wikipedia article, but I don't remember him actually like specifically mentioning that in the movie. I don't remember it either. It's I just, believe you. I don't remember it. I don't know. I think yeah. It's just like one, like one comment. Like, You're pregnant, baby. Let's go out to the again. country. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I believe Whatever. you. I yeah, know. I mean. Hugh is a huge asshole. That's all I know. Huge uh, so, asshole. Hugh. <laughs> so speaking of Hugh and the end, like uh, the end where Catherine, um, you know, is driving away from the country. She's going to go back to London and she passes her doppelganger who has been stopped on the road and is like, waving her down. Mm. Uh, and she decides to run that doppelganger over, knocking her off the cliff. Uh, doppelganger dies uh, and then of course at the very end she's in her shower uh, that massive fucking shower again mm. and the doppelganger walks in and she says I killed you and the doppelganger says not me didn't kill me or something like that Yeah, yeah. Um, the doppelganger talking to Catherine uh, definitely is using Hughes language and tone like she says, for God's sakes, Catherine, multiple times. It's it's like all the stuff hmm. we've heard before from Hugh. Mm, yeah. Like talking to Catherine. And, you know, and he even says, like, why didn't you pick me up last time you passed me? Um, so singing it for the second time, I was like, oh, it should be. It is obvious to me that this character is Hugh. I, of course, had seen it. Mm. It's obvious anyway, because I've seen it. But um, it just was very clear that uh, this was not just the doppelganger. It was definitely like her mistaking Hugh again. And I thought that was interesting. So what, is, However, what are we seeing when we see Hugh's dead body on the rocks? What are we seeing? Yeah, I mean, is that her imagining that that's the case because the oh. doppelganger's here? 
so I actually thought that was one of the few moments where like we're getting what is there since it, you know, since mm-hmm. since Catherine is like, you know, not in the area. It's one of the few times where we're not getting her perspective at all. But you're right that it could be a uh, no. I'm saying okay, but if you, what you're saying is that the, the doppelganger is Hugh. Yeah. Right. So she's just seeing her as the she's seeing Hugh as the doppelganger. But yeah, it's Hugh. that is what I think. But, but then you're, you're saying you're, that Hugh is dead. Also, I'm saying he was dead, but you're right to bring to question that since okay, yeah. we yeah, don't yeah. know what we're saying. Right. I mean, there's no explanation, obviously, but yeah. Altman's dead. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. It did seem like the whole the shower scene at the end was just Altman was like, you know what? I can cut to this uh, to this faucet uh, right to the waterfall. Perfect. Boom. Match cut. It works. too. Yeah. It's beautiful. Great ending I shot. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, my last my last note is not about this movie specifically, but it's about how like this movie belongs to a maybe like a sub sub genre of films about women having nervous breakdowns and mm. uh, losing their minds. Like, and I was gonna see if you guys had an explanation as to why this sub sub genre exists. Like, as opposed to like why isn't why aren't there men losing their minds? It's always like, and I, was, I don't know if it's like a thing where it's like women are seen as uh, like they're weak psychically or something, you know, like they don't have a, they don't have it together. You know, they're fragile. They're the, the fairer sex, all that kind of shit. Mm. So maybe like, you know, that's the thought process behind, because a lot of these movies come out around the same time too, like all the Polanski stuff, this movie. And then it yeah. feeds into like Lynch's entire career is this essentially, you yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I was, I was just thinking uh, like the, sh- the shower scene at the end, like I think, uh, De Palma definitely had that in mind when he dressed to kill. Yeah, dressed to yeah. kill. Um, which has which has kind of a sim. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, dressed to kill has its own social issues, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it, yeah, but I mean, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, De Palma. De Palma obviously feeding off Hitchcock like hardcore. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It just like feels weird that there's like this. The all these movies that exist that are even mm. even like uh, you know uh, Cassavetes had the the movie about the woman with I mean which is more obviously a more happening in reality kind of a thing uh, woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown or whatever no, is that what it's called what is that movie called with Gina Rollins and and uh, Peter Falk is it woman it's not woman under the influence yeah woman under, yeah there you go okay there you go. okay I'm thinking of the other film anyways but yeah well so, and this tradition goes all the way back to the uh, mid 40s with Gaslight yeah. Uh, yeah. which is, you know, the the man actively trying to make the woman lose her mind, but yeah, or um that uh when was that uh the snake pit with Olivia de Havilland where she's like oh yeah, gets caught, basically gets caught in a uh, insane asylum and like no one will believe that she's oh, changeling. Yeah, yeah. The Eastwood film. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. there just seems to be like a a a spat of them and I don't know how I wonder why that they're just I, I think there are you know I'm, I'm gonna call it multiple readings i think uh you know you could chalk up some of them to just good old like like sexism assuming that the woman is is more frail and fragile and can come apart easily mm-hmm. uh you could also attribute it to you know like the the undue or the pressures of a patriarchal society on the woman that just kind of make them unravel because it's not, it's like too much for any sane person to handle. Mm. Um, you know, I don't have like a good answer. I don't have a definitive answer rather. 
No, but I didn't expect some of these movies are really yeah. good. Yeah, I agree. I, I like. I mm. tend to like the films uh, that are about this, and I I think it's interesting. I just uh, part of me wonders. There's like a little bit of guilt there because I'm like, I don't know if this is like, you know. Like, are they saying something about females here or is it just right. that they've chosen a female for whatever reason? I mean, I don't, you know, I just wonder what the reasoning is behind that. Like repulsion, mm. for instance, came out oh. before this. Yeah. And, uh, I wonder what Polanski's reasoning is behind why not have a man trapped in an apartment losing his mind, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, in I those, know. there are movies about men, like, you know, the shining is about a man losing his mind. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the outside forces thing again, but. I think those movies exist. Those I, I feel like the men losing their mind movies are often like about like specifically masculinity. Like Eyes mm. Wide Shut is sort of a man losing his mind movie, and so is Straw Dogs. But again, that that they have to do with very like masculine. Like masculinity is threatened or challenged. And again, yeah, and, and again, go off the deep end. Outside forces, right? I mean, like in this in this film, yeah. it's her. It's her mind fucking right, with her, right? right? And it's like I'm I'm trying to think of films that have male leads where their their mind is fucking them over. I mean, like I mean, beautiful mind or something, but I mean yeah, like yeah. something, you know, Different. exactly. <laughs> something uh yeah. or like, like again, that. like like what JR was saying with like masculinity, you know, you got like Fight Club. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that, I would say that would be one, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing how they're all, all these films are really similar. Yeah. But all like, yeah, I agree. All, they're all good. (laughs) I like, I like Polanski's films. I like this film. I obviously like Lynch. Mm -hmm. Bergman rules. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, uh, anything else? I think no, let's, uh, let's do ratings. Ratings. Lay it on me. Uh, three. All right. Three. Whoa. I'm giving it a four and a half. Yeah, mine uh, mine was a four and a half. It's staying a four and a half. Nice. Yeah, I got to go four and a half. I really enjoyed it. And uh, it was uh, just, uh, I, I did not feel that it was too long. Oh. All the, obviously, any movie can be shortened. But this, uh, I don't know. I feel like it was pretty solid length at 144. Uh, all right. Well, uh, that's our episode. Okay. Next week on the podcast, <laughs> our friend Rustin will be joining us. I mean, hopefully. Who knows? By then, you know, whatever. It might be like a fucking curfew or something. Mm. Uh, but uh, Rustin will be joining us. Jared is staring. He just wants to know the movie so bad, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> his movie that he's chosen is in my top 50 movies of all time. It's probably in his top 10 movies of all time. Uh, a little known picture from... Uh, Oh, wait, I gotta look up the year. <laughs> it's unforgiven, isn't it? This is a blast. <laughs> this sounds like something that's gonna be in my bottom ten or something. This is a blast. I love this shit. This is a truly uh, great film. Did you forget the name? From ni- No, I'm looking up the year. From 1999. Directed by John McTiernan. Called The 13th Warrior. Oh. I have never, I've never fucking seen this. I know. Oh, I that's why to- we're gonna watch it. I, it is I get great. to watch it again. So, uh, yeah, The 13th Warrior is our next film. That'll be Rustin will be the guest, and uh, we'll talk one of his favorite films of all time. He's actually read the book as well, I think, so oh, okay. he'll have that tattoo, the Michael Crichton oh. text. Oh, right. Um, I'll read that, too. Yeah? No, absolutely not. <laughs> if you actually committed to that, I would consider reading it as well. <laughs> but I guess if we're recording, are we planning to record next Friday? 
Uh, I don't see why not. I'd be fine with it because I'm like again, I'm off. So yes. you're off at this point, aren't you? Or then I normally I would be off next Friday anyway. Um, as far as I know, we're probably going to be closed for two weeks, like yeah. actually closed. Like yeah. we won't be there. So yeah, I don't see why not. And Jr., you're off, right? All of our jobs are on hiatus. Nice. So, uh, yeah, yeah the, uh, that's why we're the... putting content out for folks. Exactly. Exactly. So that'll be next week. Until then. Saving, saving the world. Yeah. <laughs> One podcast at a time. That's right. Until then, visit our website at filmyak.podient.co. Write to us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our, uh, Facebook page for, I don't know, updates. There's no really updates there. We post the episodes there from time to time. And, uh, yeah. Until next time, thanks for listening. Have a good one.